Welcome to Grog Talk, episode four. We're at episode four. It's crazy, right? It is. It is. It feels like we were just at episode three. <laughs> just a short time ago. I'm James. I'm Dan. And so this time on Grog Talk, we're going to continue the trials and tribulations of Glade and Trixie as they decide what they're going to do after finding the trail that ends in front of an open, what appears to be a tomb-like structure with double doors that are ajar. And then we're going to talk about one of the main, uh, kind of a pillar of Dungeons & Dragons. So when you think about the game, there's there's three parts to it. There's exploration, and you notice that in the first part of, of their adventure, they did some exploration. They also did an uh, encounter, and again, an encounter can be combat, but it could also be a social interaction, and they did that with... John the Blacksmith, and obviously combat, which is a lot of the rules are based on it, but it is not the whole game. And really how you split them up as a dungeon master in the game is, is up to you. So uh, I think, uh, Dan, you're ready to get back into the adventure, right, to see what happens to Trixie and Glade? I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I'm ready to go. You know, my only regret from last week is that Pixie didn't try to pick John the Blacksmith's pockets. Right. That's a missed opportunity. Or the, or the bartender. <laughs> or the bartender. Or right. But there's still an opportunity. I think. Yes, and and I think that would be certainly very first edition. If you were to survive the dungeon and then go back to the hamlet and then be run out by a bunch of peasants <laughs> yeah. as they uh, come and kill you for, because you decided to steal their six coppers. That's, That's very first edition. That's right. Um, any questions from last time? Is there any rulings or anything concerns that you... No, no. Everything uh, went well. I, if I were, you know, In retrospect, thinking about what I should have done, and I think you talked a little bit about this too, is so the ranger is surprises. As you noted, one of the benefits of the ranger is that the ranger surprises, what I believe, 50% of the time. And, and that's, that's very useful. And so one of the things that I could have done was had the ranger sneak up as opposed to casting the sleep spell. So in retrospect, I sort of, I'm a little nervous about having blown the sleep spell, because, you know, in first edition, right. you don't get that many spells, pretty first level, you just get one spell if you're a magic user, and so I feel a little nervous about some of the decisions that I've made, uh, but, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, and, and another thing I also regret, something that, you know, in the group IDM, you're a player in that group, and I think your group does it very well, which is, instead of, before, well, you do cut throats. But before cutting the throat, mm -hmm. you interrogate. Right. Uh, and so, in retrospect, I think a better thing to have done would have been to maybe slide those goblins over or take one of them alive when they, you know, take them away from shouting distance, something like that, and interrogate them so I'd have a little bit better of an idea, uh, or any idea, of what is below those two doors. But, you know, it I, is what it is. I think, Glade, unfortunately, the... Years of thinking about murdering yes. humanoids, yes. it overtook her. Exactly. She, she couldn't wait. Um, and once she realized that, well, first she was probably disappointed. She may have thought that Trixie actually killed the goblins initially with the spell. Didn't realize that. I mean, there was some discussion to sleep, but she wasn't sure. And then realized that they were going to wake up. Then right. the bloodlust kicked it. So that's okay. So we're going to start. So the party gathers. You must gather your party before venturing forth. 
And we're back in front of what appears to be a tomb or a structure that's built into the ground. It's slightly ajar. There are two slain uh, goblins and off uh, about 150 yards away, you are uh, Glades and Trixie are standing over the uh, third goblin who attempted to throw a spear and failed and, and that cost him his life. So what do you, what does the party do? Well, and I can't remember if we did this or not, but uh, certainly Pixie would like to search the body uh, and find, I think the armor was taken off, if I recall correctly. Glade is, is trying to fit into the armor, so right. certainly we want to search the goblin. Uh, Pixie, of course, is always looking for some coin. Okay. And uh, Glade uh, was going to try to fit into the armor. I can't remember if you made reference to buttons popping and flying off. Or so, so I did do some research. I had to go to the internet, and I found places where you could uh, estimate the size of a goblin. And so one of the... How tall is uh, Glade? Glade is five foot five. Right, so thin the eighty-eight. Right, pounds. so I, I I messaged us in our group chat um, the size and weight of each of the goblins that you had slain, and if I remember correctly, the tallest was forty-eight inches. So they are at about eighty-something pounds. I uh, know, uh, yeah, about eighty-something pounds. So I'm going to say some. Now again, typically goblins don't wear armor armor per se, but, but uh, they usually wear hides, and they just have natural armor class. I'm assuming part of it's probably dexterity. But, um, you know, it all it talks about is, uh, talks about armor that they, or weapons they may have. So I'm going to give you a chance under, uh, Glaze's intelligence to try to fashion something that may be equivalent to padded armor. Okay. So ability check, which of course means I want equal to or lower and a 12. I do. I didn't. Make it below. Okay. So so low is good. So you've fashioned, you've probably cut some of the straps away or the fur and you've put something on. And that takes a number of minutes, but you have something equivalent to uh, padded armor. Great. Okay, so... But I will say you'll be moving at less than 12 at this point now with that. Okay, that's fine. I, I You're anticipate, moving at 9 now. I anticipate we'll be moving slowly anyway. Uh, throughout the uh, the dungeon or whatever is below. Okay, so Glade and Pixie are going to, as quietly as possible, advance back toward those open doors. I assume there's still a jar and smoke coming out. Yes. Uh, well, it's more of just mist, you know, the heat. Mist. That's what you're seeing. Got it. There may be a... a, a there is a scent of, of smoke. Human, human flesh smell? Possibly a uh, very uh, peasant smell. You know, a, yeah. Female peasant, uh, right. earthy type. Of, we better get moving. It uh, like. could be. Um, so the um, also you did uh, Pixie when she, when he was looking, he did find three copper pieces oh. on one of the gums, one that threw the spear. Great. Okay. Three copper. Okay, so they will advance back toward the doors and the mist rising, mm-hmm. and I think that Pixie. Being uh, the thief, it's gonna is gonna take a a look through the okay. opening, and of course Glade is gonna stand and watch guard and make sure that there's no spears again flying through the air, or at least if there are, they'll notice it. Okay. So it's only been uh, you know ten minutes or so. So the bodies of the slain uh, goblins are still there. The door is basically open to allow a goblin to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, sh- uh, is it who's looking through? Glades or Pixie? Pixie. Pixie. So he peers in, uh, and it looks like there are stairs, stone-cut stairs, 
descending down about 15 feet and then heading 30 feet in. That's as far as he can see. Okay, uh, the goblins, were they wearing cloaks? Uh, and the reason I'm asking now is Pixie uh, and Glade are wondering if they can kind of disguise themselves to an extent as goblins, just in case. So, mm, I, I don't know. I'll have to check. Okay. So I'm going to say, uh, you know, based on the lore, I'll give them a one in six chance. I don't think they do. Two. So they're not wearing any They clothes. almost did. That's right. They, they almost had. They almost grabbed it on the way out. They they like, have, ah. Maybe it's like a small cape or some kind of... <laughs> Head, okay. Maybe they have a headband. Maybe they have a bandana. Maybe they're uh, gang members. Right. They look like the Crips or the Bloods. Well, you know, well, you know I, I love to try to disguise them. I am the guy who, who put on the apron from the cook that one time That's right. the tray. And that, that, I'm now noticing something consistent here, which is that DMs don't really seem very intrigued or very interested in, in my uh, attempts to disguise myself. Well, it's back to the illusionist thing. There's DMs who exactly, like, and there's DMs who don't. DMs want to who waste like time. like, like no. you dressing up as cooks and goblins, uh, and those who don't. Okay, and you don't. No, right. I, I have no problem with it. I think the what it, it does make it more challenging for the dungeon master. Then they have to factor in light sources, mm-hmm. your size. You know, again, like we were. Um, are you, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper kind of thing? Uh, is, is, is kind of, in this case, aren't you a little tall for a goblin? Um, so no, I understand that. Sure. So I, I don't, I don't mind characters trying, uh, players trying to do that. It's just going to be, um, how, how successful they're going right. to be. And this is kind of the, again, the art and science of it. You don't want to discourage this type of thing, but you also don't want every time a player comes up with something to just automatically jump into it. Some DMs will. Some people, oh, they're coming up being creative. Let's roll with that. I am I tend to be, if it makes sense, I will allow it or think how to roll. Uh, but I'm not going to, uh, because then oh, it's the same thing with what we'll talk about later with secret doors. If you if it happens all the time they find secret doors, then that's all they'll do is search for secret doors and the game will grind down to a halt. So yeah. I, I, I am not telling you should not do that. Okay. Is there a, when Pixie looks through, what is there a light source coming out and what does Pixie see? Uh, th- what you do notice is there's definitely, uh, so as in you, you look 30 feet, there appears to be some kind of heat emanating to the right 30 feet down. So okay. the passageways goes down and maybe there's something to the right where, it, uh, and it's, um, uh, getting to the point where it's very bright. Uh, and it may, at some point, if you get closer, you may feel like that, that may ruin your infravision. Okay. And you said it was, I think, wide enough for a goblin to get through. Yes. So does that mean we're thin? I'm an elf and a half elf. They tend to be on the slender side. I would say you'd be able to get through. All right. Pixie is going to... uh, Well, so this is interesting. Who should lead the way, Pixie or Glade? Now, Glade is a ranger. Pixie's a thief. You know, Pixie's a thief. It just makes sense. I'm going to have Pixie go through first, and Glade is going to follow behind, of course, looking back to make sure no one is seeing what they do. So who's in the front again, I'm sorry? Pixie is going to lead the Pixie. way. okay. And so he's happy about that? Pixie's not happy about that. Do I have to roll? Do I something further? No, I'm just kidding. So what is what did you just give me uh, uh, that we would call this? It's a, it's a trope. In we, would call, we would call this the marching order. That's right. So uh, in the original game, um, the caller... Uh, who'd kind of be the de facto leader of the player characters, would 
determine the marching order and either hand that to the dungeon master or tell them to that. Because, again, back to the style of play, they had lots of players, apparently like I have, and instead of having them all talk to the dungeon master, they would talk to the caller, and the caller would, like the high priest, explain and supplicate to the, uh, to the DM what they were trying to do. Uh, which is, I, I, I guess I should see, try to see some videos from that time of, and I've seen pictures of Gary Guy at one point, not even sitting at the right. table. That would be amazing. So, um, one thing, uh, okay, great. So, uh, Trixie goes through. Pixie, Pixie. Pixie. I'm Trixie. She's not a whore. He's not a whore. He's not a male prostitute. Got it. Sorry. You're absolutely right. Um, the... Well, the backstory is not completely fleshed out. Well, that's true. It may. That's right. He, he was a hunter. But we're not sure of what. So there you go. So we moved down thirty feet. Uh, I'm sorry. You look down thirty. So you descend the stairs. Yes, they are. They are descending. Uh, I'm not going to be checking for traps uh, simply because we got to get moving. Okay. I'm concerned that time is of the essence. Right. So, uh, after 20 feet, uh, now your infravision ends and it takes a second or two because you notice there's flickering light hitting the sidewall. Basically you, you are moving forward about 20 feet. The passageway turns 90 degrees to the right. And from there is what appears to be a fairly large uh, source of light. You see flickering on the wall. Okay. So Pixie is going to creep down and peek his head around the corner while Glade watches from behind to make sure no one is sneaking up uh, on them. And there, Glade is going to have uh, her longsword drawn, mm-hmm. uh, and Pixie is going to have nothing at this point drawn, just going to be looking around the corner. Okay. So, you, uh, Pixie peers around, and let's, I'm gonna, what's your move silently? I have to, I assume you don't want me using the old erased bard scores from this. So, Pixie is, I should obviously write these down, this is definitely slowing down. The game, the move silently is a 15% plus 5, well, okay, hold on, plus 5 for being an elf. Is twenty? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, a dex and the dex is only a thirteen. I've gone over this four times. That's terrible. You're like, why is my Every dex time. thirteen? Because right. you have a seventeen intelligence. That's right. Twenty percent chance of moving silent. Okay. And 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 explain to me again why you are not showing me the die roll. Because if you did not know this, now again, I could uh, once we get done with this part, I'll try to adjudicate, tell you why I'm doing this, but. Uh, I'm not showing you because you don't know if you succeed or pass. Now, you have not asked for this, so I'm basically asking, basically, it's almost what I would call a passive uh, thing, that in your attempt to look over the side, I assume you're trying to be silent as possible. So I'm I'm kind of using this as a gauge of how successful you are. Uh, You peer in, and you see what appear to be two goblins standing, uh, basically cooking some on a giant brazier that's in the center of the room. The room is about a 35-30-foot room. And the passageway continues past where you've come from. So, and they're standing, uh, they appear to have haunches of meat, and they're talking in goblin to each other uh, in quiet tones. Okay. So, Pixie then creeps back up and whispers to Glade what Pixie has seen. 
and they'll now discuss exactly how to handle this. And they're going to make the decision that Glade is going to use her short bow, notch two arrows. Now, I have a rate of fire of two, correct? I can do two mm-hmm. shots per round, correct? That's right. Am I able to do those to two different targets? Yes. Okay. So, what uh, what Glade is going to do is going to creep on down there, notch an arrow, and fire one arrow at each one of the two. Because the range you said was pretty short. Oh, yeah. It's short range. Right. All right. So, no penalty for the shot. And as an elf, Glade is going to get... I'm sorry. As a half-elf. No, Glade does not get an adjustment. Elves get adjustment on bow, right? I don't think half-elves That's do. That's correct. Half-elves do not get a racial bow. But I've got a dexterity... No. My dexterity's not very good. It's not very good. Okay. But I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. And and I and I can tell you what about how many feet was it to the goblins? Well, there from the corner, it's yeah. 10 feet. There's a the hall, there's right. a passway 10 feet and then it's another let's say 15 feet to the brazier, which is in the center. It's a 10-foot brazier. It's a very large center structure mm-hmm. with a giant bowl and there the goblins are sitting there. That'd be great if I hit one of them and they fell into the brazier. That that, that could happen. That'd be great. All right, we're going to try that. And oh. knowing that this of course could if they're not killed, I could hear the Briark. You could. Of course, is the goblin. That's right. You, could, you could hear danger. that. That would be not good for you all. That would be terrible. So, um, again, like the way I do it is once the, once a aggressive action has been taken by the players, it is time for some kind of combat. We've moved out of exploration. We're moving to combat. Because um, elves and rangers are very stealthy and surprising, we're going to roll for surprise. So even though it's extremely unlikely that uh, the, the goblins are secretly knowing that they're there, and he doesn't know that. They could be preparing and then turning around, but we still have to make a roll. So oh, and just can I also declare one other thing, too? So I want to let you know that the minute Glade fires, mm-hmm. Pixie's going to run in there, and Glade is going to put the bow away, draw a sword, and they're both going to... So it's going to be all for, sort of fast. They're going to fire, and okay. the plan is, and they charge. Okay. Okay. Six. That's not good. Oh, wait. So, oh, we're rolling on. I have a two. Two. So, fortunately for you, you cannot, you can only be surprised on a one. And uh, they would have been surprised more. So, no one is surprised. So, at the time, as soon as you start drawing, you, uh, Glades must have moved forward and hit something or, or just made the notch and it startled them. So, now it's initiative. Okay, let's do it. So, what happened was I gave them a one in four chance to be surprised, which is exceptional because... Both are at wolf, the rangers stealthy, and because they're in the party of elves, and it says elves are stealthy if they're with elves or halflings. Basically, I ruled that they were one and four at this point, and it didn't work out for them. Didn't work out. Oh, that wow. happens. Four. Well, one. Okay, so now they get up and they're going to attack. This may not be. I don't know how much time you set aside. It looks like you set aside forty-five minutes <laughs> of our segment for That's this. Right. It might be shorter. We might. Right. We need, might need some filler. Right. So. <laughs> That's right. So Glades is... Uh, Can I just play the goblins after this? If, I'll just continue with the goblins. That's right. Just, kill kill Alyssa or Elisa. That'll be fun. That's right. You can see what happens. I should win that one. She's tied up. Man, she could be a fourth level fighter for all of Actually, then, she's killed them all. Then I'm Elisa. That's right. Oh, okay. You just keep... It's yeah. like that movie. You're the spirit that just keeps going yes. to whoever's alive. Yes. I like that. All right. So... Uh, 
there's I'm gonna say now you said Glades was in the front trying to, to shoot exactly so what I am gonna allow you to do is because with missile combat I'm gonna let you get one shot off even though uh, they won initiative I appreciate that all right it's a 19 19 things Excellent. are looking up that's right so you have uh, so I'm gonna secretly roll their hit points do you hit the left one or the right one? Oh, well, I'll, I'll do a 1, 2, 3 for left, 4, 5, 6 for right. I, the right one. Okay, now roll your damage. Okay, that's a, it's an arrow. Is that 1 to 6? 1 to 6. All right. 1. Okay, well, you... Is he dead? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not dead. You, hit the, you strike the right one and almost like... Yeah. What? Really? That's a, That was your plan? <laughs> it was to confuse him. Uh, well, it's, he, far, it's working perfectly. He's, he's confused. <laughs> so, now I'm also, because uh, I'm also going to give you uh, an advantage, because uh, we're going to try to play it rules as written. They are 15 feet away from you. Oh, and I need to be 10 feet, don't I? Rules as written, to, I mean, right. they would too. And well, they would too as well. They do not, go, uh, monsters do not say they can charge. They I not, can charge though. You can charge. And I think I said in my uh, declare action, maybe charging in. Right, so you may charge. Now you have a strategic decision. You can wait for them to move to close, which means they wouldn't get an attack and then you'd get an attack, or you're going to charge now. Uh, I see us charging. Okay. So you shot off now. Well, now you'd shoot off your second. And I want to say, because I don't want to wait for... I don't want to hear Briark. I got you. So that's why. All right. Well, sh- uh, so what's going to happen is they're going to move to close. I'm going to let you shoot your second arrow, and then that would be Glades' action. He's not going to hit Pixie in the back, is it? No, not Pixie. yet. Okay. <laughs> not yet. That's later. 13. 13. That doesn't seem very what, good. What armor... What are... He's a... I'm a, I'm a ranger, level one. That's a hit. Really? Yes, bar- that's great. Just barely. Wow. Okay. You, do you hit the same one? Um, no, I think I would have gone because I was going to do one arrow. Oh, that's one, right. One, one of the other. So one I think one. it would be the other one. Six. Oh, so after you know, again, this was the first time you shot your arrows. I think in this campaign. Yes, I think so. Did yeah. you write down twenty arrows, by the way? Oh, what's your? So we talk about the arrow retrieval rule. That's right. Well, we'll we'll get on that next. Okay. Uh, what do you say? Twenty is what I had. I don't know. You didn't write it down. What, well, what there, it the, says 20 there. That, I, now it does. So now I, apparently you have 18. <laughs> so you hit twice. Regardless, if you strike a creature, the arrow is destroyed. Okay. That is... Now, if you miss, you're supposed to save versus crushing blow and have a chance. Oh, I see. Because pe- a lot of people do the 50%. Right? Well, I guess that's, that's just, just to make that's it... just make it easier. To make it easier. That's not rules as written. Got it. So, anyway, you have... Fortunately for you... Uh, uh, Glades was after the first shot uh, was more steadied and shot straight into the goblin's eye socket, killing nice. one. Yes, who had only four hit points. Yes. So uh, the the goblin moves to close against uh, Pixie, and now Pixie gets his shot at attacking since he's he's moved to close, and you've charged. So oh. charging is plus two to an attack. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, nineteen, 19. twenty-one. Okay, so what I'm actually going to do is you charge because they want initiative. It'll be simultaneous. Okay, so you hit. What is that? A sword? Yeah, it is a short. Hang on, I think that is. It's a long sword. All right, so you get a D8. One to eight. Four. Four. That will be enough to slay him. Now it's a question of will the goblin, as he's charging and goes in, um, will they get a chance? No, that's not right. Because charging would be the length of the weapon. And that's another story for combat. Mm. So basically, they won initiative. They started moving. You charge and shot. 
And uh, I'm going to say no. They were slain at that point. Okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give them an attack because they are only using clubs. So they don't have a a longer weapon than your longsword. But okay. if it was opposite there, okay. So, so they yeah. have been slain. Both of you cut them down, and you do hear somewhat of a reverberation as the battle has happened. You know, because it was relatively quiet. The the swinging of the arrows and the clanking and the gurgling of the poor goblins as they, who were just sitting there minding their own business and stone cold murdered by a bunch of elven assassins. Now what, what I'm going to do, uh, I believe we both speak goblin, don't we? I need to check this out. I believe you, I believe they both do. Because if we both do, so I'm going to speak, I'm going to tell you that we're switching to speaking in goblin. Just in case anybody hears us. So let me see. What are elves are able to speak? Goblin and half-elves are able... Yes. So, Pixie whispers over to Glade and says, you know, in Goblin, let's, from here on out, let's just speak in Goblin tongue. So you've switched to the Goblin radio channel. Exactly. Exactly. Mission. I got exactly. you. Okay. Um, and so, speaking in Goblin... Uh, Pixie, uh, and then uh, Pixie's going to, of course, going to search the bodies, always looking for coin okay. or anything else. So each of them have actually one silver piece and one copper piece. Oh. Each, yes. And they have their clubs. And their clubs. I don't think I'm very interested in a club. Um, and I look anything else, and then we search the room. Anything yes. else in the room? So uh, this room has a relief, you know, the, the, the stone is actually relief of a scene of various human knights fighting basically demons and uh, other fell beasts, but mostly demons, um, giants, and uh, all creatures like that. And, and on the other side of these giant human fighters or knights, there is an oath written. Uh-huh. Do I recognize either Pixie or Glade? Recognize the oath. No, but it's in common. Okay. It's in the common human tongue. And what does it say? It says, I, Sextus Varius, swear my life and my honor to the Delian Order. D-E-L-I-N-L-I-A-N Order. I, Sextus Varius, swear, swear my life and honor to the Delian Order. Okay. Anything else I notice in the room? Nope, except for the brazier, which is lit. There, um, it's it's a very nice. It's a nice stone one, stone brazier. It's it's inserted. It's part of the floor structure, and it is burning with. It almost seems somehow a perpetual flame. Oh, interesting. Now, in many situations, I would search for secret passages, things like that. But time is of the essence, so we're going to keep moving on. I'm, we're going to first listen intently. Down the halls. The only way out is the way. That is what you see, correct. So directly opposite the way you came in is a pa- the passageway continues. And, w- and what do we see down that path? We're going to get on either side of it and peek down the... Oh, um, I think what we're going to do is... we're going to. Can, can we quickly take the bodies and sort of prop them like on the brazier so it looks like they're standing looking so at like, the brazier? Uh, the good, bad, and the ugly? Uh, where are they? I from Clint Eastwood, where they take the Mexican soldiers and prop them up as... Uh, as I, not exactly. Just so that way, you know, so if anyone was looking down the hallway where we will be heading, they would exactly. see the backs of them sort of propped up against 
the brazier. Okay, uh, that sounds good. So that takes a couple of minutes. All right. But I'm able to do that. You are absolutely able to. So, they, you know, you have them somewhat slumped over where they look like maybe they're sleeping. You try to do that. Okay, great. That's not a problem. Okay, so what do we see down the hallway? We're gonna, so we're going to get on either side and just sort of peek down. The passageway, based on the light coming from the brazier, appears to continue 40 feet down. Okay. And then it turns left. Uh, the passageway then veers left 90 degrees. Okay. So, and by the way, you would normally have, if this was a larger group or another thing, you would have, besides a, a marching order and a caller, you would also have what person typically? Um, oh, a mapper. Yes. You would Somebody have to be mapping. If this was a more sophisticated dungeon, we would have, you'd have to have a mapper. Or at least someone would have to describe this because I would, uh, the dungeon master's job is not to tell them which way to go. I just give them the directions right. as they see it. And one of the things I want to mention too is, so as the ranger, because I read up on the ranger, is uh, the ranger, I get a plus to hit. Right, the uh, giant classes, which I think include you get plus the uh, damage. Oh, just plus the damage, it's not yes. plus to hit on that's the right. Ranger. Okay. Yes, and and exactly. Um, and I've played it. It's not clear. I'm sure there's probably been rules. Uh, other people interpreted this. I've included that damage. So it says on page 24 of the player's handbook: When fighting humanoid creatures, rangers add one point for each level. Uh, they have attained to the points of damage scored when they hit in melee combat. So uh, I've been sometimes nice and allowed it to add to um, missile combat because, again, um, you know, what is, you know, it's not, you could say melee truly means melee with swords or melee just in general melee combat. So because the idea is rangers are skilled at killing these creatures. Right. And why would they only be skilled with weapons, swords, and not just uh Basically, they know how to shoot them, except the first shot. Apparently. So I and so yes, I'm glad you remind me because that would have done two hit points. Okay. Okay. So uh, all right. So marching order is going to remain as indicated. Yeah. It's going to be Pixie single Glade. file. Pixie's going first. Yep. Then Glade and uh, Pixie is going to attempt to move silently. I understand that uh, uh, Glade is there as well and isn't a thief, but we're heading on down. Okay. So how how heavy is uh, Pixie and how heavy is Glades and how tall are they? I know that Glade is five foot five and eighty eight pounds and eighty eight pounds. And I know we wrote this down. It would have been on. Yeah, I think I've got. I believe here. Let's see, five foot one o two. Okay. Yeah, that's so kind of heavy, isn't it? Yeah, that's Glade, right? No, that's Pixie. Oh, you did Pixie on the new sheet. I got you. Pixie's okay. on the new sheet. I've written out here five foot, yeah, one oh two. Okay. Unless, unless it's that that was that bard. Yeah. No, I I that feel bard. like you're one oh two because that's the elf, <laughs> okay. right? Okay. Uh, yes, that's right. That is the uh, that's the uh, elf. Yeah. Okay. So you start heading down the passageway. Yes. And it's uh, Pixie and Pixie and Glades. The passageway goes forty feet and turns to the turns to the left. So what do you do? Peek, Pixie's going to peek around the corner. Okay. So as Pixie uh, moves down the passageway with Glades, how far is Glades behind him? Um, just about five feet and continuing to look behind. Okay. And Raul's looking up every now and then. You never know what's up there. Right, right. Okay. So as Pixie is walking down the hallway, he hears a click and a step. Roll under your decks. Oh, no. Successful. A okay. nine. Okay. So, uh, 
what happens is he hears a click. This scythe comes from the ceiling, comes through. You take one point of damage. Yes, okay. And now uh, Glades needs... Glades is this needs true? Pixie has two hit points. Two hit points, that's right. So the way I ruled that is if he made his dex check, he heard the cl- as he heard the click, he got out of the way and only took half damage. Okay. But Glades was, was, was looking behind, was kind of moving forward, so she needs to make her dex check. Oh, if okay. she makes her dex check, she doesn't take any damage. 20, no. She takes five points of damage. Okay. Had seven hit points down to two hit points. So you can just imagine here... Uh, Pixie slowly hears the click, gets out of the way, but probably didn't say anything to poor Glades as far as and just yes. got jabbed in the in the back there, which of course makes a sound of a th- and it slams in there and everything else. So, what do you do? We are going to now. You notice the scythe is actually after striking; it's slowly starting to uh, go back. Um, how, how what do we see ahead of us? Uh, well, the passageway goes 10 feet more because you didn't make yep. it across. And then, and then it goes, it turns left 90 degrees and it seems to go that way. Okay, we're going to be very quiet and listen. Do we hear anything? Trying to see if we heard any, we're hearing any commotion that we've been detected. You don't initially hear anything, but then you hear uh, something in Goblin. Check, check that out. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to run up to the corner okay, and sort of lay in wait. Pixie is going to draw. They're sort of limping up there. That's right. Drawing uh, the, his long sword and glade uh, as well. Grabbing it. No, you know what? No, no, no. Glade is going to crouch around the corner with a short bow ready. Okay. And arrows ready and watching. So in this, in the next room, you see, uh, the room seems to be, uh, there's 20 feet corridor, then it continues another 40 feet. It appears to open to a room. Oh, okay. And in that room, there seems to be a, uh, there's two large torches on the far wall, and there appears to be a statue of some type of human. Next to the statue appears to be a larger humanoid type. This is Glades looking down. Yes. Yes, you would know uh, this creature from your figurine creations. Right. This is uh, the advanced set of uh, uh, creatures. But maybe no, they're not advanced. They're middle. They um, more of a pig-like creature. Certainly larger, more human size. An orc. Uh, no, you you would know them to be a hobgoblin. Oh, okay. Oh. So there is one hobgoblin, and there appears to be two goblins, and the two goblins appear to be moving towards um, your area. Oh, so what kind of cover do I have? Because I was thinking it moved off to a side and I had a corner that I could turn around, but it looks like it's all kind of heading straight. So so what? So you, you're you on the edge of the corner. You're looking in this way. Yeah. And as you look down, I see. They're coming, the two are coming down the hallway. All right. Well, they, well, they're coming from the room. They're going to enter the hallway, which is... The, the two. I'm two sorry. Goblins. Yeah, the hobgoblin does not appear to be moving. And two goblins are coming. That is correct. Okay. So... I think uh, what I'm going to do is... I'll oh, one more thing. You noticed uh, uh, that the, gob- the hobgoblin is not really focused. That you- He seems to be looking in the corner. Oh, okay. He seems to be looking in the corner. So 
I think what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to... All right, I'm gonna. We're gonna we're gonna do the same thing we did last time. We're oh. probably not making out alive. They say to each other. They hug each other <laughs> in a non-intimate way, but Correct. sort of intimate. Okay. Correct. Well, so, so now it's initiative. So you're gonna try to shoot your bow. Yeah, that hug lasted unnaturally. That's right. Long. It was some yeah, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah, it was you're weird. the one. You're, it's, that it's, was. You're, they're your characters, but okay. So it's initiative time. So the two goblins are moving towards. What is uh, Pixie's action going to be? Pixie is once the arrows are fired. Pixie is going to charge. So you understand that Pixie is a, a thief magic user, right? Oh, that's right. Well, I have no spells left. Right. <laughs> which, which hurts. Yes. Right. I'm not sure Gary got... I, and you can play your yeah, character right. any way you want, but it, do, it does appear that Pixie seems to be the frontline fighter more and more. As we well, that's true. A Glade does have the uh, the bow. Um, now, I see what you're saying. But, you know, I've declared it, so I think it's too late. Okay, right? so it's I initiative. Mean, you know, there's, I, there's really not an opportunity to back now. Five. Five. Simultaneous. Okay, so missiles will go... Uh, so I'm going to say you get your shots off. Okay. And they will move to close, and your is is Pixie Chart moving forward, you said? Yeah. Okay. So this is the two shots. This is right. the shots from right. The first shot is a, a one. one. Is a miss. And a six. Six. There's two... Those two shots fly off. Pixie's dead. Uh, so how far does Pixie move forward? Well... To move to close, or... Yes, and then, you know, Glade is coming, you know, as soon as... She can. Okay. Behind. So you basically you each of you meet uh, just at the the entrance way. Okay. And that's your actions because okay. you're not charging. Okay. They're not charging. Okay. So there are two goblins, and you have. Okay. Uh, um, and now you see what Pixie sees is that in the corner, the hobgoblin was looking at a small young girl who's t- tied up there. Okay. All right. So now it's initiative again. Yes. Yeah, it's not going to go well. Six simultaneous. Six. Okay. So what is uh, so uh, Pixie's going to attack one, and the goblin's going to attack them. Uh, yes. And what's Glade's going to do? If Glade is an opportunity, what Glade wanted to, I know that may take some time. Put the bow away and draw the long sword. They can't. She can. Yeah, okay. She can. So her only action besides that would be to charge. She would get one attack if she charged. Okay. Okay. Is that, um, is that would yep. that be something you want to do? Let's okay. do it. Yep. They're both charging. All right. So this is. Uh, Glades attack against one of the goblins. A ten. Ten. That is, you need a, you need a higher than that, especially as a thief. Hold on, let me see what, how many hit points they have. Oh wait, who is this? Oh, that was Glade. Glade. Oh, Pixie. No, Pixie. I'm sorry. Pixie. All right. Pixie's just gonna keep going. Right on through. All right. So uh, this is the goblins' attacks against Pixie. Twelve may hit. Oh, that's terrible. Seven. So I'm using the wheel. What's uh, Glade's arm, uh, Pixie's armor class? Pixie's AC is an eight. Eight. Well, they they uh, fortunately for you, they did not hit. Really? Yes. What did I roll? Twelve. Yeah. I need a thirteen. Wow. That's right. So there you go. What do you think of my strategy now? Uh, I think it's horrible. I think <laughs> I think Pixie's a dead woman. Dead now. Woman. Now you get your charge in. Alright, so this is Glade, I think. Yes, right? Glade's yeah. attack. Come on, Glade. One! One! This, fortunately, we do not have fumbles in first edition. You've rolled two ones. You sh- are these your dice, or are these... Bu- these are the green dice. Oh, these... Oh, not yeah. the blue. They sh- probably should have brought the blue dice. Uh-huh. So, okay, so... Now, with this, the Hobgoblin is now moving forward to yeah. engage with you all. Yeah, that was terrible. Terrible decision. Oh, okay. Alright, so, it's initiative. What What is your uh, actions at this We're point? We're running. 
You're going to try to run? Yes, we're fleeing. Okay. <laughs> so let's see if you win initiative. Three. Five. Five. Okay. So because you're fleeing... Uh, and there is, there, oh, no. the there is opportunity is, that's right. There is no rules really. They talk about withdrawal players handbook, but there's only one initiative. They get an opportunity. Oh, uh, well, absolutely. You, if, if you write the players handbooks, I think in the dungeons masters guys, you flee. Uh, it's very, it's very clear, uh, for that, but I want to make sure we, I don't, I want their, their lives to not be lost by a bad. And this is where, you know, as a dungeon master, you want to make sure you get the rules right. Now I want to, I want to make it clear. This we're here to teach the game, right? <laughs> so part of, part of what I was doing, I wanted to be clear, is trying to teach the kids out there right. how not to approach combat. That's right. You know, so I obviously you know what I if I was playing this the way I normally would have, I would have done something like wait back there, try to get a backstab. At some point, thief. at any time, the creature decides if the, they can break off the engagement and flee the melee. To do so, however, allows the opponent a free attack or attack routine. This attack is calculated as if it was a rear attack upon the stun oh, upon, the st- upon a stunned opponent. Oh come on, <laughs> Gary! What's wrong with him? When the attack is completed, the retiring may move full movement rate unless the pro- so. Okay, I think I've been DMing too long and not playing enough. <laughs> so rules as written is uh, it, it, again rear attack would be plus two and stun would be plus four. So again, fortunately, that's uh, I'm going to rule that it's against their armor class since your armor class is so horrific. Anyway, you're basically being attacked as AC ten, all right? And they each okay. Now, what I also could rule is that you know this is where theater of the mind, where we don't have figures. If we could say they were right next to each other, if they were right next to each other, each of them would have got their attack of opportunity on on both of you. But I'm going to be nice and to say that each of them are fighting somewhat not next to so each other. So the fact that I want initiative, that's what allows me to flee, right? right. So that'll allow me to get away from Yes, instead of getting a front but, attack but, and then getting a rear attack, you're only getting attack once. Right. So, yeah, so a, a creature who flees from melee in such a situation is subject to free attack routine from the opponent, calculated as a rear attack, no shield bonus, no dexterity bonus. And you said in addition to that... Yes, on the DM's it guide says, it says, as, and stunned. Which I never, I don't remember seeing that. Yeah, so. what pages? I didn't remember that either. I had not written that down. I just had the plus two. Breaking rear... off melee, that's on page 70. 70, I That's it. hilarious. Well, I'm glad that I've taught you something funny. Prior rear attack upon a stunned opponent. This attack is calculated as if it was a rear attack upon a stunned opponent. That is... It's calculated as a rear attack, yeah, upon a stunned opponent. And the stunned is... That's plus four, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I had that down here somewhere, so now that's... Yeah, that's horrific. This is just... This would be a... This would be a... And this is why, by the way, most people don't run. Because running is... I've learned something. And I... And I think that... I think that this is the kind of situation where it's okay to slow the game down and get it right, correct? When, when, right. when you would agree with that, when you as a That's DM, right. that if, if when the character looks like they're about to die, exactly. it's okay to sort of slow so it down and get it right. Treat all such opponents as if being attacked from the rear, but in this case, to be hit is plus. So it's, so it's, it's plus four total, because it says treat all such opponents as if being attacked from the rear, but in the case that to hit bonus is plus four rather than plus two. So I, I would, I, they should have just said, the, this attack is calculated as if it's a rear attack upon a stun opponent. So I think what they mean by rear attack, it's plus four to hit, and it negates shield and 
any dex consideration. Oh, so you oh so you're doing so because the plus four is for the stunned, right? So you think it's a plus four, not a plus six? Is yeah, what you're it, saying? yeah. It's it basically it's taking the rear component of no dex, no uh, that. So it's plus four. So basically, it's AC ten. Now, um, this is very interesting because. You could rule this a couple ways. When we talk about combat, some things adjust armor class. Some things add right. things to the dice. So the plus, right? Do you want me to do plus. rules as written? Yeah, because that would be the plus. That's right. I didn't say AC. That's it right. doesn't say AC. It's a. It is a plus, plus. to the roll. So that's right. It's plus to the roll. Now let's see what happens. Okay, so this is the attack against uh, Pixie. Uh, her, her, his armor class is eight normally, right? Correct. He does have no. He has no dex or any bonus. Correct. So the goblin normally needs a 13. So with plus 4 to hit, needs a 9. Okay, let's do it. 20. <laughs> <laughs> so how many hit points does uh, Pixie have? One. You know, now, can I ask you a question? Yes. How are you, apply- how are you applying the death rules? Because there's different well, ways that's it's, right. it's done. Right? So it's optional. Uh, so typically, if you and if you go to zero, the the character, the player is dead. But you could go down to negative three, and we've been playing to the negative three rule. So I'm going to do that this on time. A, right. So so it, it would take a single hit that brings me to negative four below to actually kill me. That's right. Because right? my understanding is Gygax was concerned about well this yeah. too much death. That's right. So yeah. so do you, I so basically a one to four. Uh, Pixie will be unconscious. Five and six, uh, he will be killed. Sounds great. One. So he's now, of course, none of this matters <laughs> if Glade. If there's no one there to drag, <laughs> well, Glade is. Like, I don't think dragging Pixie out of there seems like a wise move. So unfortunately, uh, uh, both get the idea after engaging with two goblins and a hobgoblin that they should run. They turn around. He's just about to make it out, and they gets hit, struck by a, a, oh, a goblin. Well, Glade was a better shot, right? And now Pixie thought Glade had told Pixie <laughs> that Glade was a top-notch shot. That's right. And this. She used to line. She used to line up figurines and take yes. the heads off with the arrow. When Pixie saw the shooting ability, that's when Pixie said, "I need to run." Exactly. So that's the, so this deal got went very south. So, all right. So this is the attack. The other goblin on Glade. Yes, three. three. That's a miss. So Glade's is successful. You move your full movement away. Yes. You would know because you at least have studied goblins that you would be able to outrun the goblin. So you now, uh, you move your full movement? Yes. Okay. Uh, as you run past, uh, make a dex check, because you are running. I'm running. Is there, what, is there a banana peel or something? No, there's oh. a trap that you pass through again that's starting oh, up again. That's right. And I, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. A five. Five. Yeah, you are good. successful. You are successful to get past it, and you take one point of damage. What's that from? Because you still trapped it. So so I got it. So it's still triggered, and yeah, right. I did mention to you that it was resetting again. So let's let's recount the situation here. The, the situation is: pick, uh, Glades has just run. Let's see, ninety feet from there, thirty, sixty. You're by the brazer. Has one hit point. Has one hit point. Pixie's back there. Uh, how yes. many hit points? But Pixie was out one. Zero. Yeah, he took. Took one hit. Well, because you bleed out. Right. Right? So you don't know what's happening. But zero. Right. All I don't you know. know all oh, you... I know Pixie could be dead. That's right. I know Pixie could be dead. You all, all that Glade saw was as she was running, she told him her, him to run, and he just heard, oh, and he collapses. 
and she just kept running, barely avoiding uh, getting hit by the pit trap or the scythe trap. Okay, so what now I'm, you're at the brazier. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take out my bow. And now it's initiative, by the way. So and take, take out two arrows, yeah. Okay. And wait for them to come. So I'm going to turn around. Okay. I just, this, is, this is, you know, this is not like I'm retreating all uh, the way back to you're not the rusty party. dagger. Okay. Right. Six. All right. Finally. Okay, so uh, you, you're not sure what's uh, going to happen. So you want initiative, so you're waiting with your book. Yes, I am. Where are you in the room? You're in the brazier room. Um, I would like some concealment, so I'm going to be around. So you're going to be corner. behind the brazier. Yeah. If you're behind the brazier, yeah. the problem is the flames are there. Well, can I be at the corner? So yeah, I'll give you some cover around a corner. Okay. Sure. You're you're at the corner. You see the goblins coming. You're going to shoot at them. I am. All right. Roll roll your d20. Three. That's a miss. And a two. Two. That's wonderful. Well, the goblins now move sixty. Now they are approximately uh, twenty feet away from you. Okay. So now it's initiative. Since you shot. Do I, oh, you trying to declare? Yes, you want to declare. What were you going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to run. Okay. A five. That's probably well. You, you've determined that you move faster than the goblins. Yeah. So you... I'm running out of there. So you've run... You, you, you're about 30... About 30 or so feet out of... You've sprinted out of the thing. You're able to... In fact, you push a little bit of the doors open as you flee out of there. Um... And uh, you're 30 feet away from the entrance, running towards the I board. keep, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm running to the rusty dagger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this will be a good time to stop here. Are you sure? Cause, cause, all right, because you know what my plan is. Okay, well, I'll let you finish the plan. Go ahead. So you, you run back. Now I have to decide. I'm going to knock on the door of the shack. <laughs> Oh, you're going to the to the tavern, or you're going to the. I'm going uh, to John. Uh, John the blacksmith. The blacksmith, okay. and, and I'm gonna. I want to like arm him with a meat cleaver. Okay. And we're going back in. Okay. I mean, I, I discovered. Look, the mission was a success. Yes, you did find. He wanted to know what happened. Oh, I, have good, daughter, I have good I, news and bad news. Okay, well, hold on. Let me see what. Okay. So, um, actually, what I'll do is uh, let's see. Let me roll that. Uh, let's see. I'll do. I'll do a reaction. To see if he, I love how if it's really low, isn't it like instant attack? Yeah. So he may just attack me. No, uh, this wasn't for John. This was <laughs> I had. I was determining what the fate of uh, Pixie was. Oh, because he's not dead. Well, yeah, no, I figured. You know, come on, you tie him up a little, right? Yeah, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, you're not sure. No, he is unconscious. So yes, so it, you're not sure what happened, obviously. But I, 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 I rolled high enough that something. It's it's not their instant death, but you wouldn't know that. I don't know. That. Uh, okay, so you after f- uh, a little, like, what did we say? It was uh, it was about uh, what forty five minutes from here to back to the shack. Okay, okay, so, so uh, I don't get lost. No, it's dark, and you've kind of you you know you're a ranger. By, you've, you've, oh, that's true. I do have to, by I, giant. Wasps. I do have to roll for giant. Wasps. All right, and it is pitch black. So now you're going pitch black because you're just so one hit point. It's pitch black, and it's you get random I'm in a encounters, forest. and you get random encounters, so. and I hear noises. Yes, it's pitch black, so it's random encounters, no encounter. So okay, that's good. So you things you are run, looking up. You run through. You get to. Uh, I'm I'm going to give a tracking thing. So as you get closer, at minus ten. Because it is pitch black and you are. Do I roll for tracking? Or? Yeah, you roll. Okay, because I would know if I pick up a track or not. Twenty six. Yeah. All right, so you you you're a ranger enough. Even though you're panicked from being uh, assaulted by the goblins, you you get back to John. Is it emotional to see Pixie's tracks? Uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't think up. you've seen the tracks. I just think you know how ah, to get back. Got it. 
Okay. You're, you're, I, 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 I'm not going to say what you feel, but that's, uh, you're kind of focused on getting back. I pound on the door of the shack, right? Oh, okay. I believe is next to the right. shop. Right. So, so he, he, he kind of, who is it? Who is it? I say, it's Glade. I have important news. What? My daughter. Have you found her? I have found her. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. Where is she? Alyssa, Alyssa, my precious brother. She's back. Where is that other strange fellow? Where, where uh, are they? Alas, she was not taken You've by... You've been injured. What happened? I said, yes, uh, it is... Alas, she has not been taken by wolves, as perhaps you thought. I regret to tell you that it's much worse. She's been taken by goblins and a hobgoblin. Oh, okay. And Pixie has... Oh, you seem to take that quite well. <laughs> Pixie... Oh, okay. And Pixie... <laughs> <It's like>, oh. <laughs> and there's a good life insurance policy out of her. And so Pixie... 50 gold pieces. That's amazing. My life insurance. <laughs> a new shop. I'll never have to be a blacksmith again. Or... <laughs> yes, I'm getting suspicious here. This is a setup. I'm supposed to be like the witness, of, you know, for the life insurance policy. That's right. Pixie. He hired the hobgoblins. This is a big scam. Pixie, Pixie has has fallen. I'm not sure Pixie's dead, but I believe Elisa is still alive. Here, grab a weapon. We must go save her. Okay. Let's see. So, what's your charisma? My charisma is a nine. Well, and I rolled last time that when when um, when. Pixie asked for a treasure that he was very receptive of giving anything. So he is he is willing. You know how to get back there? I do indeed. Okay. I will I'm skilled in such things. So um you you are wounded. You will need to do you do you have any way to help yourself? He you know, he quickly helps you bind your wounds and I said I, is there anyone who can heal in this village? And then, Quickly. then there's a sign from above. Perhaps you could heal yourself. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot. I'm multi-classed. Yes. <laughs> Glades would remember that. I am I am a, a follower of the that's hunter true. goddess. That's right. I forgot. I'm not just a ranger. I that's am right. a cleric. I say, I can handle this myself. <laughs> that's good. Unless you have no, a I have potion no, that you I, can give me. Well, I have I have one for myself. I wasn't going to share when I figured you were a holy person. No, I, I say, thanks for reminding me. Yes. You, yes. It seems like you're injured. Perhaps you should focus on that. I will heal myself. All right. So he grabs, he has uh, over the fireplace a bastard sword, and he grabs that, and he says, we will go. Uh, and he grabs a torch and says, let, come, let us go save her. And I'm going to heal. Can I cast yep. my Cure Light Wounds, which is one to eight? One to eight. Six. Six. So you're, you're, you're back to he- full hit points. Can we erase this tape and just start over? No. This was amazing. Oh, okay. What's wrong with this? This is perfect. This is exactly like first this edition. This is first edition. Well, that's a good point. So, All right. um, so I think this is a good stopping point because now... Um, you, you will you will head back because I think we've been taping for a little bit. Glade and and John the Black. So what does he have? Did he has he a say? bastard sword. Whoa! Yes, he has. A bastard I thought he'd sword. have like a you know a meat cleaver. No, he has a bastard. He's just he's a bastard sword. I said, John, why did you hang back? <laughs> wow, he's like a retired eighth level fighter. <laughs> he's actually the Lord of the Sound. <laughs> Great. That would be ga- very gag. Ga- that would be very first edition. Okay. Why is this twelfth level fighter not handling these problems? Yes, <laughs> exactly. First level. So okay, all right. So so this is where we break. Yes, this would be a good break. Will John the blacksmith and Glade save the- Alyssa and Pixie from the clutches of this evil goblin? Uh, 
gang led by some some nefarious haba. What is the purpose of capturing Alyssa? We will find out next week on that. So, well, that was that was yeah. I found that very entertaining. I'm sure you did. Yeah, it's usually. What you have to understand about first edition games is a zero-sum game. If the DM's happy, the players are not, and vice versa. <laughs> so we end this with James laughing. <laughs> Me laughing, but a different sort of laugh. Well, that's, yeah. that's, I think the other challenge is you know, when you play two characters and you're not really familiar, it's, it's hard to remember all the skills. Well, and, that's, and that's kind of a lesson, too, of why, even though the book says you could play multiple characters, they try to refrain from it. Because there's just... Even first edition, which is, has limited skills and excuse me and abilities, it's hard to remember what you're capable of doing. And uh, there's always that tension between the DM, who tends to remember more things than the characters because they're really focused on that. Uh, you as a DM always have to be careful that the players may not use the skills that you think they're going to use in that situation. That's why it's a game. So, uh, and with that... Happy to have contributed to that lesson. Ah, yes. All right, let's let's move on. That's right. So now we're into our Word of Recall segment. Word of Recall. Which, actually, we're now going to recap some of these uh, features. And, and again, there are three basic features of the game. When you break it down, Dungeons & Dragons is an exploration phase, an encounter phase, and a combat phase. Um, And your campaign will decide how much of the balance of that. In in t- the games we play, we tend to be pretty combat heavy um, enca- and then encounter then uh, exploration. But some could be very exploration with limited encounters and limited combat. So um, when you've run your campaign, Dan, what is, do you, do you act, do you think consciously about the balance between all three of them or and is there a pre- preference in any of them from your perspective? Well, I think it depends upon the adventure you're running. So I run published adventures, and so the flavor of the adventure will dictate that. I, you know, as we've gotten older, and you know, we play. Uh, our group meets once every two weeks, right? And so we don't we don't get to play that much. And so unlike when we were in junior high, and you know, you can play every afternoon, time's pretty limited. And so my experience has been now for a lot of the players who are getting back into the game and, and have jobs, obviously, and, and, and other lives, that we don't, they don't want to spend as much time on sort of encounter, I mean, on, on investigating uh, and exploration uh, and encounters and discussions. It's, it's more about getting into the action. So um, I, I try to now get the party into the action quicker right. because... You know, you could, in, in a typical first edition game, you can spend hours in the city gathering rumors, right. information, traveling. You know, we I, I, I avoided a random encounter last session, but if I hadn't, that's combat. Combat takes time. And so you could easily eat up many hours before you get to the real meat of the adventure. So... So, due to limited time, I try to get things moving along. Yeah, and, and you know, depending on, this is where, um, when you read the spirit of what I get out of the Dungeon Master's Guide, you know, the Dungeon Master is the master of their domain, and they should be following these rules because that's the way the game is supposed to be played. And it's back to um, AD&D. I was listening to a podcast, um, The Smart Party, folks out of England, a great podcast, 
and they had uh, Janelle Jacquez, right? Oh, Jacquez. I'm hoping to get into one of her games at GaryCon today. I'm registering. Okay. I get one featured event, and I'm going for, yeah, Janelle Jacquez. Janelle Jacquez, right. So who uh, she was one of the prolific writers back in the 70s and uh, Judges Guild and a couple other things. Yeah, so Dungeon she was Year on magazine. there. And Dungeon Year Magazine. Yeah, so, you know, um, and I didn't realize, but AD&D is kind of a, as, you know, there's, there's the difference between the home gamers and the tournament gamers. And, you know, the original D&D was, you know, kind of grown out of houses and the rules were all over the place and a lot of freedom. But when you go to tournament play, everyone's got to kind of know what they're playing. And that's always been the struggle between the different editions. So first, AD&D was supposed to be a very codified rule so that when you went to a tournament, you could figure it out. And then third and fourth edition, second, third, fourth, keep building on. And then there was kind of this recoil of all these rules and crunchiness. So, uh, again, it's just interesting that you know, the spirit of this was the Dungeon Master was to just follow the game, be the control of the game, and make sure each of the parts were done uh, deliberatively, not just hand-waving things. And so, um, you know, that again is the the, the tenor of the, the campaign. So um, I tend to try not to hand-wave two things, but again, if it starts bogging the game down, and it depends how many players and how, how willing they are to do exploration, I think... The, the thing is, exploration, if you're going to have it, it has to be interesting. If it's just a series of um, breaks between combats and encounters, that's why they want to run through it, because there's not anything to see there. So, um, so exploration, it's not an encounter. That's basically the only, that's, that's how you know you're doing exploration. You're either not talking to someone, or you're not fighting with something, or something, uh, something that's intelligent. And um, so you have to navigate the environment. So some of the things... Uh, you have to think about too is it's there can be indoor uh, exploration like in a dungeon like Glades and Pixar are doing. There's outdoor like where they're in the forest, and eventually, as your characters be, you may be going to other worlds or other situations that are not normal. So, what are some of the actions that uh, a player can do um, while they're exploring when they're not interacting with people or in combat? So, there's a lot of things that they can do, and you know, this is I think. One of the things about the game that can be tough, which is that 1E is very deadly. There's a lot of traps. I mean, traps everywhere. And precipitous action, as we learned today. Mm -hmm. Again, I was trying to teach the kids out there a lesson. That's right. You, you hit all the checkbox. I knew what was coming up. I, you know, we didn't even practice this. I right. said, I'd like you to... You would have thought, I said, please hit the trap. Please jump in right. when you're outnumbered. Right. He just did it on Be his reckless. Own. Forget you're a cleric. Right. right. Forget you're a cleric. Have the have the thief magic user, probably the weakest of fighters, be the frontline fighter. Yeah, absolutely. That was tremendous. Thank you. So, and, and you know, it is tough because there's a lot of traps. So... There is a real incentive for players to, while exploring, to number one, have a thief out front checking for traps all along the way. Maybe have somebody with a 10-foot pole tapping along the way. When you then come to, to avoid the trap, like today. Now, in all honesty, you know, so the reason why I wasn't checking for traps was because I, I was trying, I mean, some things I just, I think, I didn't handle well. But I was trying to handle it in the way I think the characters would under a time crunch, fearing that Elisa could be killed at any time. I didn't see this as a very sort of slow plotting, let me check for traps, and, and they paid the price for it, which, which is fair. I also was thinking, well, there's probably not traps here because the goblins are coming in and out, but 
then again, if they know there's traps there, they know how to avoid them. And, and I paid the price. So what did you surmise with this trap? Why were, why were the goblins able to get around it and you were not? Well, I assume there's, there's a trigger for it. I assume you step on something, some pressure plate or something, and triggers it. Uh, and I gave a clue here at one point when I asked you for some stat on yours. Oh, you said dexterity. You asked for dexterity. One of your, abil- one of your attributes of your characters, I asked for. Oh, I can't remember. I asked you something about your characters, what they... Just before I rolled for the tr- for the I trap, know. your weight. Oh, you did ask for the weight. So yeah, so if I, so that sounds like a pressure plate or something like that. So and and that's where the dungeon master can be nice, or I could have said nothing. I just could have said yeah. it rules as thing saying uh, basically the trap had if goblins or lighter creatures could get uh, so I made it a hundred pounds being the, oh the so they're not triggered yeah no I didn't even I, I, I that went right over my head as to why you're asking me that yeah, but that's okay that's part of the thing well, too. Yeah, yeah. and as a DM I can't assume the players are going to get there all the time so then you have to decide is this going to be uh, you know how deadly do you want it? well they shouldn't because you really shouldn't be asking me that to give me a clue I don't think to give well, me a clue I, I wasn't part of you it weren't, right? I needed the information to right, know right. The, the module doesn't say it just says halflings and goblins are able to pass by. And that's tough, which is nice, I guess, to have the character sheets, copies of all the information as a DM. Now, that's a lot of stuff to hold on to, right. uh, because that does happen when you're DMing. You need information, yet you don't want to give a clue away, and you're kind of thinking about how to nonchalantly ask this information. But so there's a lot of things you can do when you're exploring. You can be checking for trap your thief, be checking for traps out ahead. You can be listening at each door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to see if there's anybody on the other side, if you hear anything. Now, the problem is, so, so the good of that is it reduces character death. The bad of that is it does tend to slow the game down. Um, and at some point it seems somewhat unrealistic to have a party going inch by inch, checking everywhere. And, and then there's mapping too, which is part of exploring, which you brought up. Um, and, which you've got somebody sitting there mapping. And perhaps you can talk a little bit about uh, how DMs, address that if they because at a certain point the dm may feel like it's being abused which you know in in some respect i don't know is always entirely fair Mm -hmm. because the minute that the dm decides it's being abused and wants to move things along then there's a trap and and the the character dies i uh, having been on both sides of the screen i as a dm i understand completely why party members are so ultra cautious and the minute they're not they're dead. They're extremely paranoid. And this game leads, at least the first edition, leads towards that, which means it's a dungeon crawl. It has that, I mean, it's in the word. Um, the movement, time in the dungeon slows down uh, as far as the amount of time that passes as opposed to in a combat or an encounter. So in, in the rules, if your movement, uh, so for instance, if the slowest player is, let's say, wearing plate mail, which means they can move 60 feet. Uh, in a combat round, in moving the normal dungeon, that's 60 feet every 10 minutes because they're mapping, they're looking around, they're being careful, they're trying to be as quiet as they can. And so it's literally, you know, 60 feet in 10 minutes is ridiculous because they're doing all these other actions. And it also says that after after every five turns, they're supposed to rest a turn because it's so stressful as they're walking around. Players hate this. Like, why are we waiting? How is it taking so long? So, um, you can use that to your advantage if people are taking too long. You, you, every turn, you're, you potentially should be rolling for a random encounter. So 
it's giving enough tension to keep the game going, but also giving them the opportunity to look for traps. I mean, if you just have deadly traps everywhere, and that's up to the DM to decide, are they going to be that way? You know, if you have a deadly trap, you should give it some clue that there's a trap being there. So, you know, if there's a if there's a gem that explodes, there should be burned things around it, like in the classic uh, Tomb of Horrors. You, if the person does touch it, then that's that's on them. So, but it is it is the game is supposed to be. You're taking your time. Someone's mapping. They're figuring out. They're they're doing this that, um, and that inevitably some searching is good. Um, but if they, it can get to a crawl, and and in fact, that's almost the schizophrenic part of this being a DM. On one hand, you want to move things forward by doing random encounters, but then if they keep searching, you're supposed to throw things in to uh, try to. Uh, prevent that from happening. So for instance, hear noise, the classic hear noise thing, right? If all the characters want to hear noise. So what is the thing that a dungeon master is supposed to do to prevent that from happening all the time? Ear seekers. Yes, ear seekers. So yes, there's a, there's a monster. Uh, the way it's described is that hearing noise, you can't just put your head to it. You're supposed to take off your helmet. Right. If, Cause if you're not, you get hurt, you can get attacked even more. And then what happens is there's a sl- there's a slight chance for an ear seeker to be in the door, and they're on page 36 of the Dungeon Master's Guide, and uh, you need a cure disease because if not, if if the creature enters a warm place, it will lay nine to sixteen eggs, then crawl and die. When the eggs hatch, the larva eats the surrounding flesh, generally burying inwards to a most killing their host ninety percent of the time. And mine, it sounds like, there wasn't there something like that in one of the Star Trek movies? Right, right? yeah. The con? The con, yeah. So, and my understanding is that Gary Gygax, right, the story is that Gary Gygax created Ear Seekers specifically for this reason, to, to punish players who were, cons- I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, right. for continually listening at doors. And I assume, you said, you know, very rare. And so, you know, the monster manual indicates the frequency of monsters. Right. I assume, of course, if the DM wants, the DM can simply place ear seekers in a door, right? Since yeah. the DM is the creator exactly. of the adventure, um, they can do that. Uh, which I thought, you know, again, I think that's I think that's pretty harsh to have ear seekers there. I, I wouldn't have a problem with rolling randomly based upon, what are they, are they very rare? Very rare. They're very rare. It's something like two percent or something. Yeah, something to that effect. I wouldn't have a problem with rolling a two percent chance each time. That seems fair. Um, I think it'd be a bit harsh to put ear seekers in there because the party's listening at doors. Because four percent chance. Four percent. Because then the minute they don't listen at the door, then there's something on the other side. And they uh, still have to hit. You have to adjudicate. They have one hit point. So what's the chance of hitting an AC ten? They basically have, uh, you know, a fifty-fifty chance or something to that effect of hitting. Is you know because it doesn't doesn't say how they get in. It oh, just says they're there. You put your ear again. So how how do you know if they oh. actually enter the ear? So you do it. To, that makes sense. You do it to hit roll is what you're saying. Right. I didn't so, think about so that. So I you know and it's you could say it's AC eleven. So they would have a sixty percent chance. And then um, the problem is the only way you can fix it is cure disease, which is a very high level spell. So that's a problem for most party members. Yeah, and the thing and to go back for a second to the check traps, the thing that's tough about it is first little thieves. Their ability scores, their chances of succeeding on their thieving skills are so low at first. Right. You know, you really feel bad for the poor, the poor thief does everything he or she should do. Like I think in the game I was running the other night, the thief checks for traps in front of the chest, yeah. doesn't find anything. Uh, and I think, I think I, if I recall correctly, you know, it's something like, you know, it's 25% chance I rolled a 26. And of course the thief doesn't know it. And then there's a big block. 
that comes down. And and I allowed a dex to get out of the way. I could have done it to hit roll either way. That's a ruling, by the way, not rules as written. Meaning you think it should so what, it should have been a to hit roll? Or well, just it should have been automatically. If you fail your trap, the trap goes off and you're supposed to take the effects of the trap. Oh, even if it's... Well, well, it's, just like the scythe, it's just like the scythe trap. Oh, it's, you didn't do it. Yeah, a chance to... We, we give some you do, you do see that, though, and, and perhaps you're right on the rules is written. You do see that in modules where they'll say, okay, you can get a dex, right, to get out of the way, so... And that's one of the tensions of when you use a, a written module, how adherent you're going to be to that. And I think there was always a, a feeling of this is a framework and that you change it. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, it makes more sense than just a pass or fail. Um, it's just being consistent with that. If And you have to be careful having player bias or I like this player, I don't like that player. Yeah. Because As long as you're consistent with, you know, if they are close to failing, I'm going to give them a chance to minimize the damage. If they totally botched it in 100, I'm always going to say it takes the full effect or whatever version yeah. of that is. Yeah, and I kind of like, you know, for me it's a little bit of the rule of cool too, which is I like this idea of, okay, you know, you hear it coming, you know it's coming, right. give me a roll, create some tension. But, but... But that's exactly what I did for you in this thing. I took something that you've done. I've seen others. Yeah. I, instead of just letting the trap hit you, right. I said, well, what makes sense here? So yeah. kind of following what you did, which I thought was really good. Um, but so it is harsh. So the poor thief who only has a whatever, let's say 25% chance, does everything he or she should do. No trap. You know, opens the uh, opens the chest, and then a block is falling. Right. And if you're if you're playing it straight up, that the trap is triggered, now you take the hit, and the poor first level thief has five hit points. If you're lucky, if you're lucky, they're, they're probably crushed, and they could die right there and be splattered, and and that's that. But again, that's first edition, right? right? So, um, and other things you can do too. Maybe you can talk a little bit about wandering monster checks, right? Yes. Because I know that that's something else that if you think the party is. So, Parties will naturally want to check for secret passage, secret doors, yeah. uh, and concealed doors in a room. We often call it elfing it yeah. uh, because elves, elves have. That's so good. I just say elves are particularly good at. It. They have increased chance of finding uh, secret doors and concealed doors. Uh, but this is supposed. This takes time, and one of the ways to sort of discourage parties from doing that all the time is to do wandering monster checks, right? I, absolutely, and I think that's something that I. You know, I, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything. Um, it's reading the room. And part of a dungeon master's job is to build tension, the the idea of the drama. And if, if it becomes a slog where everyone's just checking everything and being so deliberate, the game slows down. A lot of people aren't doing anything. They're waiting. So the idea of random encounters is to have two things. One, that the environment is alive. That some, the, the dungeon is doing things. And in back, I guess, in the old days, the idea of the dungeon was actively trying to attack you. It was a living organism that would, uh, you know, in their later video games, Dungeon Keeper, where the, you, you know you played as the dungeon and you were trying to repel adventurers. So a random encounter is a tool that the DM can use and should use to make the place seem alive, that um, there's a consequence of things, there's t you know, time in the dungeon means something. And, and the player's handbook talks about that at the end of the thing. And so it's very important, in my opinion, to do that. Some DMs refrain from it. Some DMs say, oh, it's just another combat and come tedious. Players hate random encounters. They hate getting damaged in the exploration phase because they look at it as resources are being lost to them. It's reducing their chance to getting to the end to where the, what they want to get to, which is the money and the treasure. You know, traditional dungeons are set up what? Nothing's good in the front, 
All the good stuff is in the bottom. Everything you do, you want to avoid. All these smart players try to avoid everything they can to get to the end of the dungeon, whether it's to find Alyssa, find the gold, find the magic items. So you're trying to avoid any damage. So when you get there, you have the maximum chance to being hit. You know, so in this case, uh, when they got hit from the trap, that didn't help their cause. In fact, it made their cause worse. And Tri- uh, Trixie didn't matter too much. She only had he only has two pixie Trixie. Okay. Well. Could be Trixie after this. We're not sure what the, what the hobgoblins and goblins are doing. I'm just saying that this 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 could be a, that would be an adult show, which we're not doing here. But uh, he only has two hit points, so it didn't make a big. Unfortunately, I only rolled one. Um, but that just reduces resource. So random encounters. Um, one of the other things as a dungeon master, you can have random noises. This is something that I have to constantly remind myself: having random noises, smells, sounds, so that the dungeon feels alive. Because if it's just a you go down this hallway, you make a left, make a right. That's why players want to accelerate it because they feel like this is just you know the drive time between two uh, two events. Um, so we talked about searching for traps, and we tend I, and I do this too. I tend to it's supposed to take ten minutes for a ten by ten foot area. Mm. And sometimes the players go, oh, I'm going to search the room. Well, if you look at the room, it could take an hour and a half to search the whole room. And we tend to do that in 10 minutes. So, again, that's an opportunity. If they're searching too much, 10 by 10 foot area is 10 minutes for one person. And if you're most modules in dungeons say for every 10 minutes, you're supposed to have a random encounter. So if they're searching too much, that's one way to prevent that. Yeah, you know, the tough thing about that is the first edition, the adventures tend to, in the dungeons, tend to have a lot of secret passages. Right. And in some adventures, that secret passage, you've got to find it for you to continue on to find your ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. And the problem then is, you know, it's this idea of, well, you know, secret passages, it seems to me, are put into these adventures to be found. And by making them secret passages, though, you create a chance that they won't be found. That's right. And that can be frustrating. So I think that, you know, I have, I have a love-hate relationship with secret passages and secret doors. I th- they sound cool. They sound awesome. I found a secret door. People, you know, I love telling players that they found it. Right. They're very excited when they found it because they've accomplished something. But then again, I, it drives me crazy when there's an important secret passage and they don't find it. I mean, I ran an adventure recently where you guys didn't find the secret passage, yeah. and it was a, it was a pre-written module, and you had to find the secret. If you didn't find the secret passage, the adventure was coming to an end. And I was playing it by the book. Right. Maybe I shouldn't have. You didn't find the secret passage, and you went home. And that was it. And, and people were, boo, That's that adventure terrible. I think there's been like four of them where like, okay, we're running because we got beaten up. And the same thing, like, oh, well, you didn't even get, you, you've only done a third of the dungeon, and you get that kind of feeling of, well... We haven't accomplished anything. I think with the secret doors, one of the things that dungeons uh, that either pre-written or on your own don't do well that we should do is um, back in the, the old days, before you made a roll, encourage your players to say, what are you doing to look for right. secret doors? And instead of just saying there's a secret door right in there that there's a lever, because a lot of times just as a secret door, it doesn't say how the door is open, how if there's a, you know, a sconce that you have to pull down. So this way you can A encourage players from doing things and B, if that doesn't work, then you can fall back to the roll. But if there's just a constant uh, thing of, well, I roll, I miss, or I don't roll because there's too many monsters, then what happens is like me as a player, they clear the whole dungeon out. They still haven't found what they want. And now they're literally 
tearing 10 foot by 10 foot through the room. And they still may not find it because you only get one shot at it per character. You can't keep, you know, in right. theory, you're not supposed to keep searching. You could allow that, but now you're just, it seems like a whole a waste of time. So how do you fix that? I think a combination of really understanding your doors. Another thing that comes up a lot, well, which way does the door open? Does the door open inward or outward? Mm-hmm. A lot of the modules don't say what it is. So you have to kind of define that as a rule for that. So some of this quote unquote flavor would help with that, but it is, it is frustrating. The game, the module that they're running through right now, in order to get to the next module, they either have to find this or they're going to have to leave and travel three days and figure out how to get there. So I'm curious how that's going to work out. And that goes back to how much description does do you give to a player? So Dan, you know, the, a lot of times these modules that are written or the ones you write, you kind of take a couple of notes and if you, you know, how do you balance between giving so much description that's either boring or you reveal Oh, I need to, I need, there's a wall sconce. Why did he mention the wall sconce? And then all of a sudden they're gravitated to that. Or do you just sit there and say, you have your standard room and, and there's, you know, has a couple of torches and this and that. It, tell me how much time I've had to prep for this adventure session. Right. So then, and then I'll tell you how much room description I'm giving as a DM. What I've noticed is preparing for an adventure can be, you can spend as much time yep as you want uh because let's say that there's a hundred rooms in a dungeon and typically in many of those uh, pre-written modules they're not going to give a ton of description for the room and one of the things that i discovered i mean when i say discovered it's it's like you know it's it was there all along is i think the dungeon dressing portion of the dm's guide yeah. where it's random but it's got a lot of it's, it's nice because it gives you a lot of ideas of things that you include in there and if you've got enough time i think it'd be great to go ahead and do a, a good description of what's in there to give it the flavor because mm-hmm. i think it does probably get i don't know if it gets boring or not for the player like oh what's in there oh it's a standard bedroom Right. And okay, well, what does that mean? And then you're on the fly, you're saying, oh, well, there's a bed and there's a dresser, as opposed to having that all written in advance. But if you're going to write it in advance, you know, it's it's nice then to add a little bit of flavor to it. There's this sitting on the edge, you know, on the edge of the dresser, and there's this. But then the downside to that is when you start giving a lot of description, understandably, party members think that everything's probably important. Right. So you place like, oh, and then there's a candle right. laying there. Candle. candle. Why is there a candle there? Right. What's this candle do? I pick up the candle. I look at the candle. And time seeps away. So should we, should we light the candle? Oh no, don't light the candle. We don't know what that does. Right, exactly, right? You what know colors the candle. I'm gonna take the okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the candle with me. And then, you know, two hours later like I take out that candle and I say, Candle. Yeah, what candle? What do you mean what candle? The candle. Can I determine what kind of animal fat was used to make the candle? You know, this is another. So this just this is another issue. This leads to all sorts of issues. Like, do you allow your party members then to do intelligence roles or right. wisdom roles to learn these things? So the long. I'm sorry, it's a very long answer to your question. No, but you, it's a it's it's a challenge because again, we're trying to help uh, DMs. We all struggle with this and what the balance is. So go ahead. Yeah, I, I. It seems to me that it depends upon your party too. I think one of the challenges of DMing that I found, and you know, I'm pretty new to it, is that. You've got to, like you said, you talk about reading the room. You've got to read your room. You have to get an idea of what do the players want. And the problem is they don't always want the same thing. You may have player A who loves the description, eats it all up, and is into role-playing and all that stuff. Then you've got player B who they just, they're, 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 they're functional, they're utilitarian. What do I need to know about this room in terms of getting to my, achieving my goal in this adventure? Uh, and so I think the answer to that is you, I sort of play it based upon how I think 
the players are receiving mm-hmm. it. Um, and so, but that's tough. You know, when you first start DMing, you don't realize what questions players are going to ask. And the more you're with a group, then the nice thing about it is, you know, like I know now the first things my group's going to say is, is there a way out of this room? Right. right. What's in the room? Is there a way out of this room? That's what they want to know. Yep. And so I sort of write those things down. I saw, there's, I have an adventure I called Lair of Medusa. And what's really interesting about it is, I think for each room, it lists, is there is there an odor to the room? It lists some of these, for every single room, right. it lists this, which I think is kind of nice because it reminds you as the DM to kind of bring out some of this atmosphere. Yeah, very good. Um, so we talked about, uh, we kind of briefly go on open doors. Why is open doors such a big thing in first edition? Um, and what are the options for a player? So I think open doors is probably a bigger thing than it should be. But again, we're playing first edition and I'll never forget the time when your son, who was, uh, in, in our group at one point, uh, in the group I'm running said, really, why do I need to make an open doors check? You know, it, this seems to be a well-used door. Things seem to be coming in and out of it. But open doors is a big deal because if I recall correctly, the rule is that your typical dungeon door mm-hmm. is considered to be sort of stuck. It, it requires a little bit of effort to open it. Not for the monsters. Right. Monsters can come and go freely. I, we don't care what the strength is. Right. If you're an inhabitant. Yes. If, you you're, if you're a goblin who's four foot four and 88 pounds, you walk through it without any issue. Well, well you swipe. You got the card. Right. You just swipe and you go through. But if you're a paladin who has exceptional strength, who can deadlift, you have to make a roll. And so there's all sorts of, right, so your standard, now obviously the DM has discretion on what type of door it is. But the standard door is, as you said, is supposed to, your, they are stuck, basically, for normal people. The exactly. standard door, yes, and I actually had written up something on doors. At some point. Right, so yeah, so I have written down here on page 96 that the DMG, Dungeon Master's Guide, it advised three conditions of a portal, normal, stuck, or locked. Mm-hmm. Normal I just made this up. Presumably a door that can be opened without much effort. I, that, that seems what a normal door is. But then what the DMG says on page 97 is, as a rule of thumb, all doors in a dungeon, due to their weight and condition, are hard to open and hard to keep closed or open for player characters. So then I say, well, if a door is stuck or heavy, which is presumably the rule of thumb, the character must make an open door roll based on strength. So the bottom line is, is your typical door in a dungeon in order to open it, is going to require a party member to make a successful open door roll, which is based on their strength. Page 9. And if you have average strength, you have a 50-50 chance of doing that. And... I'm sorry. If you have average strength, you have a 1 in 2 chance. uh, 1, 2 on a D6. 1 in 3 chance. If you're somewhat exceptional, you have a 1 in 3, and then you have to be very strong to have a, a majority chance to open it. So I found that this is not a big deal. I think that party I, players like to roll dice. Mm-hmm. I get that. I'll never forget your son. One time, too, had been like three hours into an adventure, and he announced he hadn't rolled a die yet. And 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 I always remember that. And I think there's a lesson there for the DM: is your your play, players like I do as a right. player. We like to roll dice. Exactly. And and opening doors allows players to roll dice. No one's going to die. Well, unless there's a trap. I get it. But, you know, opening a stuck door, no one's going to die. So let them roll their dice. Um, I think it's I think it's a little, I don't know, I think it's a little odd to have to try to roll for every door. But what's interesting for me with party members is that 
they often don't have the strongest member of the party be the consistent door opener. So the gnome steps up and says, you know, just, okay, you're at a door. Gnome says, I'm going to try the door. Okay, roll your dice. Now you might say, what's the big deal? Uh, But the the big deal is, is that if there is something on the other side and you try to open a door, you're probably making noise. Exactly. So it makes sense to have, you know, I think every party should say, okay, who's got the... Well, first of all, there's so much wrong with that. I apologize. What was wrong with that whole situation? I don't know. Well, as you know, as you see what happened to Pixie and Glade, obviously. You you said in this uh, hypothetical scenario, you mentioned a character. What kind of character was this? Oh, you mean there's no gnome. Right. Why is there a gnome in the first place? Well, that's right. Why are they in the campaign? Well, you know... The campaign is wrong at that point. Well, if Pixie dies, you you need to... This is incentive for you to let Pixie live. Right. Because you know if Pixie dies, you know what Pixie's being replaced with. Yeah, you'll be... Well, no, you don't know that. But it could be a gnome. Oh, I'll make it a gnome fighter just to to, to spite you. Well, and it's interesting because yesterday, in my campaign I ran yesterday, and one of our friends runs a gnome illusion this thief and uh, we're in in a giant steading we're in the steading of the hill giants there's a combat going on and he is trying to open up a giant door uh, and was not successful he's like well I want to use a crowbar and try to open I'm like you're a gnome thief illusionist with a crowbar. I'm like, well, I'll give you a chance. Ben Bars, I think he had like a 4% chance and he was not successful. But still. The and the, idea- pa- the paladin is watching. No, the paladin's oh. fighting with others. They're trying oh, okay. to free these orc oh, okay. slaves. That are there. But okay. the fact that he thinks yeah. he's... These are not even normal doors. I mean, you could argue, well, perhaps. These are doors meant for hill giants. Right. And he's thinking that he has a chance to do that. So you want to talk about out of, out of things. It's almost like the... Uh, Thief magic user for running up to attack, but you know, like I said, everyone uh, does it their own thing. That was a lesson, lesson learned, and and here's another thing too. So number one, the thing that surprises me, I like this part of the uh, talk here because I get to be judgmental. Sure. Unlike the adventure part, right, right. Was right. number one, figure out who should be opening your doors. Um, you might be able to have two people try to open the door at once. Anything to increase your chance. But there's no space. there's no rule to improve right. that. So you have to f- do some kind of ruling as a DM to decide if two players are trying to open the door, does that give an advantage? Right. And, and what do you do in that situation? Right. Um, another thing, too, is... So what do you do in that situation? Oh, I would... It would depend. So if... So the, if two fighters were opening, what would you and do? And I want to think that maybe a, a sage advice from... The the Dragon Magazine had talked about this at some point. I'm sure. Yeah, but it is, and that's not binding, and and it is not. There's nothing by the book about it. I don't think. I would say if I felt that there was an additional, if I felt that there was enough room for both of them to try to open it, then I would just wing it as to what I thought the additional whoever was the strongest, and then maybe I'd probably add one. Or subtract one from the roll. Or subtract way. one from the roll right. or make it to make one it increased chance to yep. do it. Right. Yeah, either either increase their chance by one or subtract the roll by one. Right. And I think that's very fair. And that's ex- and a good example of don't grind the game down to halt searching the internet for sage advice. If you don't know what the rule is, and the normal rule is that the, the best fighter has a one in four chance, uh, give them a one in five chance if two people are helping. And here's what I think. Here's, here's my second thing that I think is interesting is that Player's Handbook, page nine, says that a character can make as many tries as desired, but each attempt makes considerable noise. Right. So what usually happens is, you know, Palin tries to open the door and rolls a six. Yep. And everyone groans. That's Gnome says, I'm stepping up. That's right. Well, you know, no, the Palin should try again. Yeah. So figure out who your strongest character is, and they're the ones 
Ask the DM if you can have multiple people try and have them continue to try. Don't have a line right. where, you know, the halfling at the back is now trying but the door. We, but I've done that, too. I keep <laughs> conflating or mixing up. There are some things that you can only do one time. Right. Searching doors, you only get one shot at right. it. Right. Door you can open. I think after certain many fails, you have to take a rest. I think for Ben Bars or one of these, you may you only get one chance. Again, that's one of the reasons. But you're right. Why the the, the the you know the human should the person who's most likely chance it shouldn't be a conga line of people trying to do it because again you're making noise, you're losing the element of surprise. And then the issue is there's no rule for. Let's say they all fail, they can't open it. It's locked or something. You know, do you allow them to? Bash the door down. How long does that take? There really is no rules in in that. So how do you adjudicate if they've they're unsuccessful because the door is barred, right? Um, not magically barred, but it's barred in somewhere. Do you allow them to bash it down? If so, how do you handle that situation? Right. And if I can mention real quick too, because I've got two other kinds of doors I've written down here. Apparently, there's oh. quote very heavy doors, ah. which might the DMG on page ninety seven says might reduce the chance of success by half. See, I did not know that. Yeah. So you've got very heavy doors. Then you have metal doors. Metal doors, usually locked, are very difficult to open, requiring a knock spell or similar means most of the time. And then I have something on locked doors. So what I've written down here from locked doors, DMG 97, two or three simultaneous ones are typically necessary, which I thought was interesting. I did not know that. That's what I've written down on page 97. I spent, the first thing I did when I decided to DM Mm -hmm. and get back into the game 29 years later is recognizing the importance of doors. Yes. I studied doors. Uh, and I probably should have studied... Yeah, that's me. Probably should have, <laughs> probably should have, apparently I should have studied, like, what do clerics do? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I know. We're now on to my... You've hit my area of expertise. So doors. I'm going to... Next time, if I write... I, I took this module off the internet, which, uh, again, I'm not going to share it until the adventure's over, but... Uh, Next one, I will write one that just has a series of doors. Doors. Like, it like gets get smart. smart. Yes. <laughs> just get smart. I can handle that. That would be a great adventure to convention. It would go over very well, yeah, wouldn't it? Just that's a right. series of doors. Yes, I have on page 97 that a series, two or three simultaneous ones are typically necessary. Yes, I see that. Do you see that? Have you found that? Uh, no, I see that. I see doors. Let's see. Well, I'm not going to spend a whole time yet. Yeah, it talks about the different heights, and yeah, have to, it's very difficult to open. Oh, yeah, look at it. Locked doors, and on doors, right mm-hmm. underneath the bold, yeah. where it says player handbook, character abilities, two oh, lines yeah. down. Yeah. Locked doors might only open if two or even three simultaneous ones are rolled. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That is crazy. So I didn't know that. So if it's a locked door, it could actually be forced open. It'd be very hard to do that. Uh, so if it's a locked door, of course, if you've got a thief, which hopefully you do. Right, these can use their open lock skills. And you know what the player's handbook on page 27 says? Mm. It can be used on puzzle locks and magical closures, which I think has raised an interesting debate, I believe. Right. Which is, can thieves... So wizard lock, right. magical closure? Can, can a thief use an open lock roll, an open door roll, uh, open lock skill... To open a magical closure. Until you told me this, I would have not said that. But if a player, I think this is where, if a player brought this up and was doing it in a way not to take advantage, but really tried to show that they're invested in their character, I at least would have gave him a role. Uh, maybe not in certain wizard locks or something like that, but at least I'd give him a chance. And if you want to see what is surely a lengthy and spirited debate 
mm-hmm. on this issue, look it up on Dragon's Fight. I can only imagine. And you will find a lengthy and spirited uh, debate. Uh, and note, it can take one to ten rounds for a thief to open a locked door, but usually one to four rounds. So again, taking time, wandering, monsters. Uh, so... Um, and, oh. by, and by the way, when you look at that, you know, I, just to, uh, this will make you feel better. So during the combat um, yesterday, there was a big fight. A couple of the players had decided they were going to go try to flank the enemy. So, of course, the one f- guy is running. He, they had closed the door. Uh, and so I had to say, well, they wanted to charge and attack. I said, well, the door, you're going to have to open the door. That's going to have to be your action. And the other guy said, yeah, well, once he opens the door, I'm going to run by. First guy tries to roll, he rolls a six. Ah, so <laughs> you love it. Did you have him run into the door? Yeah, yeah into his into head. That's right. I didn't have any damage, but the fact that their whole plan—that's great—by using the rules. So I, now that I know you have this infatuation with doors and their openings and closings, I will make it a point to highlight all the door because uh, they were. I took it at a point because of the fact these were giant doors and typically stuck and large that they are making rolls. So that was that was a part of it. So I'm sorry. You oh, go ahead. When you're ready for this, you want to have right underneath locked doors? Uh-huh. Number of simultaneous attempts. Oh, there you go. Here it is. So most doors are eight feet wide. Yes. This allows, and this comes from Sage Advice, Dragon Magazine number 64. At least it's not to spell illusion or confusion. That's good. Well, that would be binding. That'd be better. Mm-hmm. This allows for up to three characters to make an attempt. A door of three feet or less width permits just a single character. So you need to know how. Don't you love one e? You need to know how wide well, your door is. That's right. The size of the door and the number of. I put dripping places. That doesn't sound bizarre. Hand and I put these handles. Determines whether multiple dripping, Rip, not dripping. Probably. That would thank you. That yeah. Determines whether multiple characters can attempt to open the door. If multiple characters can get their hands on it and the door is nothing more than an ordinary stuck or heavy door, the chance of opening might be as simple as the characters adding their chances together. The chance might not be as great if the DM reasons that the character cannot each apply all of the strength at their disposal. So, Sage Advice is basically saying, decide. Right. You know, it's discretion on the DM as how many. But, but, so, you, but even if you add it, you still have basically a one in six chance of not opening the door i'm i would think that yeah i mean it depends how you're what are you adding i mean is each person getting a role or are you adding them all together so you get up to five to six yeah that's what that's what i get i would guess on that but, you're right you're not going to six right because it's even the eight someone has it's the highest exceptional strength it's one in five so the way you would roll it is you get to add it up to five out of six right but so the bottom line is is that you should identify your strongest members. Right. They should always try the door. They should try as many, should try it at once as possible, and they should try it multiple times, not then allow the gnome to come in. So um, while you're writing your dungeons, make sure you put how many grippings it is, the size of the door, where they go in and out. If they're heavy door, locked door, metal door. Right. That's the just size, doors. You say the size of the, the width of the right. door. So send your list of doors yes. to info at grogcon.com, and Dan will be happy to list the type of door where they run in and out, if they're heavy, magical, sealed, and everything else, and he'll send it back. Yeah, this is you're right. This, this could be a, a new business. Right. You could just be the door creator. I'm just the door guy. The door guy. The, I, um, the, Dan, Dan, the door Dan guy. The door. I th- so please send your list of doors that you need to have, and we will be. In fact, if the first person to do it, we will run through and figure out the doors for your dungeon. We're not serious. 
Don't say. Well, the good news is no one's watching or listening to this, so we're not going to be inundated. You know, I actually had someone at my game uh, mention that they'd listened to a couple of our podcasts, and I don't remember anyone telling them about it. So something's happening. Oh, that's good. That's good. There's a buzz. Is there a buzz? I, I well, maybe it's a it's a, 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 a itch at that point. It's not really a buzz. Maybe right. some scratch. Got to get rid of this. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's more like an a annoying lash. song. You got to get out of your head. Exactly. You ready for this? Uh-huh. After, you know what the next category is. That I've written down on this? Breaking down a wooden door. Okay, good. This is... Uh... James, it usually... I'm glad you asked. It usually takes a full turn to break down a wooden door with axes and the like. And this is coming from the DMG 97, page 97. Typically, this results in at least three checks to see if nearby or wandering monsters are attracted to the noise. Doors can also be blasted away by fireballs and other spells. This will not... Be likely to draw monsters to the vicinity immediately, but we'll I don't understand when a napalm explosion blows up. They you usually know, go in the other blast. They just go, "Oh, I'm not going over there." Yeah, you usually go the other way, not right. toward it, unless right, you're you're the. But farm. the hacking of axes, okay, great. but will attract the attention of all passing creatures, and possibly cause future problems. So it says it usually takes a full turn to break down a wooden door, the axes and light. So the way. I mean, by the book, I guess what you could do. No, this is by the book. This is DMG ninety seven. DMG is not saying. You need to do continual saves. So a wooden door is an item. Right. You could do it with a saving throw. Right. You could do a to-hit roll. But, you know, do you have to... Why do I have to do a to-hit roll? The the door is not moving. Isn't the door like a a dead person or whatever? You don't need to roll to-hit, right? Yeah. Why do I need to roll... No, and I've seen people do that. That never made any sense. I think I've done it where I've rolled... They rolled a D10 or a D6 and number of rounds it took for them to break down the door. Um, so I like that it's a full turn. It makes that simple. You make it a turn, and you, then you just roll for random encounters. Yeah, so I, the way I would put, you know, the the tension here is that it can really get dull to attack a door. Combat right. with a door. <laughs> for five, <laughs> Pretend you're missing, and you're fumbling. Right. And you're, yes, you fumble, that's right. You, you hit the gnome, the gnome right. dot. You know, yeah, that's would, not fun, but you know, what could well, be? Well, for a fun, back to your zero-sum game. That sounds extremely fun. The DM is loving it. Yes. So, you know, but but it could be interesting, these roles, if it's building tension. You know, you hit the door and it reverberates and you hear an echoing down the hall and you haven't done enough damage. So, again... And here's the sound that is terrifying to any player. Dice hitting the dungeon master screen every time they hit. Oh, you hit the door. Right. Okay, you right. don't hear anything right. after the reverberation. Right. Sometimes I just pick up dice and do that. That's that's a good DM trick. If the people are not doing something, even if they're not really rolling, just pick up your dice and throw them randomly. Because yeah, or just randomly ask one of the players what his dexterity right. is. That's right. Just for right, no reason. That's right, for no reason. What's just your dexterity? Bring, yeah. So and that's they're like, what? It's 12. Did I make it? You don't hear anything. Nothing happens. That's, that's, that's a tip. Have I talked enough about doors? No. Well, actually, there's one other thing I saw on your thing. You probably pull out we, the difference between a concealed door and a secret door. Yeah. Because have you ever run into a concealed door in your D and D experience? <laughs> I don't think I have. Right. They don't seem. No, they don't seem to be that common. So, so what is the difference between a concealed door and a secret door? Because um, certain uh, classes of creatures, uh, certain races. Elves and others in particular have a higher chance of finding a concealed door versus a secret door. Right. So can you give quickly what the difference is? Yes. Yeah, so concealed doors are, they're just doors that are hidden by some intervening object like a tapestry, stack of boxes, a door covered with plaster, and so forth. So it's just a door that is covered up. Whereas a secret door is a door that is actually 
not just covered up with something, but it's difficult to discover the very opening. It's 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 in the wall where you have to search and find, you know, right. the little opening. And there's some mechanism that's difficult to find. The book you have to pull the bookshelf, book something, and that opens the door, kind of thing. Exactly. But you know, a concealed door reminds me sort of like it was created with somebody saying, "Quick, cover up that door." Yeah. Whereas a secret door, the bookshelf over it. Yeah. The secret door is like, let's bring in a gnome to like construct a secret door because you're so just trying to find reasons for them like, to they're live. very useful is there short people got no re- gnomes got no reason well, there'll be no singing no. anyway but the, i've never seen a concealed door i'm sure uh if, you know if you send us uh, info at grogcon.com we're gonna be on twitter uh soon but we'll go over that in a second i'd love to hear uh, modules that have concealed doors i'm sure i can look up an adventure lookup which is a great tool that um a youtube uh Star, I guess. Matt Colville is a very DM Dungeon Dragon proponent. He helped work with the community to build. I'm sure if I put Concealed Door, we could find all the published dungeons that people in and have Concealed Doors because I've never seen one. I always see Secret Doors. Right. And as, right. And you'd asked about, right, and Secret Doors I have here is defined constructed so that their function as a portal is not immediately obvious. And this goes back to your thing of when dungeon design, whether you build one or use one, you, if, if that's going to end the uh, module that they cannot find or they don't find it, are you okay with that? And I think that's where, you know, you should probably, if, you don't have to write them down. What are the styles of play that you're going to do? Is it, you know, you're gonna, how much of letting the dice fall where they may? Because that kind of falls into that. If they don't find the secret door, is the adventure over? Um, and are you okay with that? That's one of the things you kind of have to talk about. And can, can we talk about el- elfing the room? Yes, elfing the room. That is, I'm not. I don't know if that's an official term, but that's what we call it. And why do we call it elfing the room? Because elves have a better chance of finding concealed and secret doors. So typically, if you're going to have a party member search, you're going to have the elves or the half elves search, and yeah. that's why it's very useful. I think in AD and in first edition, you really need an elf or a half elf. Right. They the both party. have this ability. Yes. And it's on page 16 and uh, 17. And also discussed apparently in page 97 of the DMG. Mm-hmm. Um, talks about elves and half-elves right. as well. They have a 1 in 6 chance uh, merely passing within uh, a concealed door. Now, we've, we've had this... We've had this argument back and forth. Let's do this real quick. Secret or concealed doors are difficult to hide from elves. Merely passing within 10 feet of the ladder, which means concealed doors, they have a 1 in 6 chance. If actively searching for such doors, elven characters have a 3 in 6. Likely, and likely to find a secret door at 50% to discover the door. So they have a higher chance than... Um, they can actively... If they're walking by, they will find concealed doors at a higher rate. But I right. guess that does that imply uh, that means yeah they have a one in six chance to see a concealed door where other people have no chance to do it, and then if they're actively searching they have a, a one uh, die roll better than everyone else to find one basically is that it and what does it say in the DMG? Well, so in the DMG, it says a secret door is discovered one in six by any non-elf, two in six by any elven or half-elven characters. Yep. Right. So that's why so. That's got to be actively seeking. And it takes two 10 and six for, for yes. a 10, foot, ten foot by ten foot and, area. And what I have here too, I can't find it right now, but I've written down here on DMG page ninety seven. It also says that it talks about the merely passing. It gives an elf or a half elf a one in six chance to notice it. But I have here, but must be actually concentrating. Right. So that's somewhere there. So I don't know. So 
In other words, you've got to be, it looks like you, yeah. Likewise, a door, an elf doesn't detect secret doors 16 and two-thirds percent of the time by merely passing them unless he or she is actually concentrating on the act. So that's DMG. So it sounds like to me that the, you, the elf, I as a dungeon master, don't, shouldn't be rolling automatically for finding a right. secret door. You, the elf has to say, I'm, I'm going to walk on I'm the side. The and, con- and so elfing the room, so there's elfing the room where you're actively seeking. Right. And there's, it sounds to me like there's elfing the room where you're concentrating just by walk. Right. So one is you're handsy. Right. And the other one is I'm just walking by and trying to sense it. Is that, yeah. is that how you would read I, that? I think we've conflated elfing the room. There's elfing the room where basically they could use their movement to go around the room. And that's the one in six to find secret, uh, concealed doors. Right. If they concentrate, like searching the room, then it's 10 foot by 10 foot sections of the room. And that's where they get the two and six chance. So that's, that's would be the difference based on what you, what you said. And the concealed doors, you said that's higher, right? It's a three and six for if they're actively looking for it, just like a normal person seeking it. But the concentrating is like you said, if they're just walking, they're not going to find it. They have to say, Hey, while we're walking, I'm. Concentrate. I'm elfing the room, which means I'm looking for. Uh, I'm concentrating by looking for the door. Right, and the, and and the concealed. Right. The, the problem is in the player's handbook. It says by merely passing. They make it very simple. Uh, in this, it says by merely passing by a concealed door, they have one in six chance. But in the DM guide, they go. They kind of walk that back a little bit. Yeah, that's so. Wow. Do I have some research? So, is there something confusing there? Yeah, I think there is. I think you need to spend this next couple of weeks working on the different Discover doors. something new, uh, right? Doors. This is about doors. This is within your. Uh, what is that? A magus or magus? Uh, you know, um, as a sage, this is one of your major areas of study. So, door uh, trapping. So, but it sounds like the the concealed. So, the, the secret. So, things get confusing. And I know this is fascinating, but. If you've listened this far into the podcast, you'd probably find this interesting. If they wouldn't find this interesting, they would have checked out. They would have long ago. Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to Good. say. Good. So I'll keep going. Yeah. So there's two things going on. There's, is it a concealed door or a secret door? Yes. And there, are you simply concentrating right. or are you actively seeking? Or are you doing nothing? You're just Or are you doing nothing? Right. And is there nothing? So we have a graph here. And... I will expect a table with each of these. That's what I'm seeing in my head. I think you need to put that. I like that. What, idea. what the character is doing and describing that, what, the type of door, and then their chance. Could you put that on the green screen? That I, we can, maybe we could project that on the Well, green. if you make the grid, I'll put it on the green screen. For <laughs> okay. The next one. Because what's happening here is that it says. What green screen? There's no green screen here. What are you talking about? Yeah, I don't know. I see a, uh, a rhino chasing us. Oh, is that really? right? I have to go find a rhino chasing us. I'll, <laughs> making... I'll be editing this out. <laughs> I'm going to do that periodically to make your job hard. It says secret or concealed, page 16, secret of handbook, secret or concealed doors are difficult to hide from else. Merely passing gives one and six. So there's no difference between when you're concentrating, there's no difference in your percentage on secret or concealed. It's one and six. The difference between secret and concealed is when you're actively seeking it. Is that right? No. Oh, Oh, no, no. No, if that's from the player's handbook, we'll have to. You'll have to. Wait, I'm actually searching for such doors. Elven characters. Yeah, they have two and six. Two, but then, but the three and six were concealed. Right. So right. So 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 it's 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 one and six for both concealed and secret when just concentrating. 
uh, I guess we didn't do it that. See this merely passed within ten feet. Was oh. it's a ladder? Remember you pulled the pulled this out. I used to think oh, it yes. was. You're right. You're you right. Said, Mer- no, it's ladder. Only oh, ladder. oh, meaning you only get the conceal. That's right. I think what happened is the dungeon masters guys they walk back just walking by. You get the conceal. That's what that looks like to me. Oh yes, a secret door. Yeah. Okay. A roll of one and two. Yeah, I know exactly what you're. I think you. I think they walk back the elf. An thing. elf doesn't detect secret doors one sixth of the time by merely passing them, unless he or she's actually concentrating on. The, oh, see, they changes because originally yes, I read. That's right. I read yeah. it like this originally, which was if they walk by, they had a one in six chance. Right. And then you said based on the player's handbook because you uh, right. are very specific in your reading of things. It says the ladder, which is concealed. Um, one in six. So we ruled it that they only walk by and they get... This says now, the Dungeon Master's Guide says they have to concentrate. Yeah, I got it. I and know. That, but, but now they're adding secret doors it's, back in that. This is solved. Okay. I'm ready to, I'm ready to reconcile. Okay. I think. Of, so... Okay. This is official now for our game. This is it. <laughs> this is our dispel confusion. I think it's instill confusion. Mass confusion. To, 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 right. Well, <laughs> Create. If, we had, if we had subscribers, we would be mass confusion. That's so right. Be minor confusion. It's minor. So, the way I would reconcile this is that an elf does not have to, has a one in six chance of discovering a concealed door by merely walking by it. Right. You don't need to be concentrating. That's right. You're like, you just, whoa, what's behind that tapestry? That's right. I sense some behind that tapestry. Secret doors are tougher. Right. Merely walking by, you've got to they concentrate get, right. on walking by a secret door to get the one in six. Right. Then elfing it, oh, I'm sorry, we don't know what elfing it means, but to actively search, like then, you, almost, then you get your higher chance just like Two that. and six for the, and a three and six, which would actually, if you think about it, that actually then sets up a scheme where concealed doors are always easier to discover. They're easier to discover. You know, although it's one in six, they're still easier to discover in a sense because you don't have to be concentrating, right. whereas you do with the search. So what does concentrating mean? The player telling me I'm concentrating. So I would say as an elf, I'm concentrating my entire time. Yeah, but then when the goblin comes out at you, you know, you surprise, you'd be surprised at like a one out of five. So, so that's what like we that. would have to figure out. There would be more likely chance to be surprised. That maybe they lose their surprise bonus because elves do get a surprise bonus. So maybe right. they lose their surprise bonus if they're concentrating. That, so that is the way, that's the way I, I like would I like that. reconcile that. Okay. And, um, and, and a rhino chasing, that's the and a rhino chasing. to find. And let me mention one thing too that also surprises me is that other, only elves search for secret doors a lot of times in parties. But everyone has a chance. So one is exactly. Chance. Right. And it could be higher, right? The DMG says it could be one in eight, one in ten, everyone, depending if, on how hard. If one person's searching opposite of the doors where everyone takes a chance on the conga line, if one person's searching, unless you're not um, you know, guarding to make sure you don't get attacked, everyone else should be searching. Agreed. Because I've had parties miss secret. The elf doesn't see it. I roll a six. The elf doesn't find the secret door, and everyone else is just... Standing around. Exactly. And they miss the secret door. Everyone so should be looking for it. Everyone should be looking for That's it. That's right. Well, I think we have beaten this door, secret door, to yeah. death at this point. But uh, we've also, so we've gone around looking around, hearing noise, opening doors. Um, we didn't go over quickly. There's another skill check that's in this for strength. Because you may not run into doors. You may run into gates. Yes. And you have that situation. So how does that work? So if you, there is a bend bars, right? Lift gates. That's right. So you may end up with a gate or a portcullis, right? Portcullis is the official term. I think so. Right. And so you, that's one you have an opportunity to lift. So how does that work? Well, so it's based on a percentage. It's based on your strength. 
and uh, you would roll, right, to see if you make... You, you know, can either bend the bars right? or you can lift the gates. So if you're in a prison and, you know, the idea of you're, you're moving that across, what page is that on? This is on page 9 because okay. it's under strength. And this is one of those things where it's once... Or you're never going to do it, right? right? You get one chance, right? You tell me. So unlike an open door roll, right, where you can try it multiple times, you just make more noise. Yeah, you can try this just once on a bend bar. But never succeed the task again. That's right. So that's what it says. Yep. The next attempt, right? There you go. So you can try both up here. I noticed at the bottom right. there it says that if, if you can try. So hopefully you can do either. It's yes. something where you can bend the bars or lift the gates because then you get two rolls. That yeah. would be a situation where you do get, right? The example is first attempts to lift the gate, fails. Then the next attempt is to bend the bars right. in order to squeeze between them. Um, and it's the same percentage chance. Uh, and so you get two shots. But also it's entertaining because, you know, they have these traps. Where if you don't have somebody who's able to bend the bar, lift the gate, I guess you're just going to starve. Right. It ends. Right. It's, it's done. A horrible. It's you. You don't even get the the pixie treatment. You get the. You're stuck here, and they stare at you, and eventually the party goes. Can I see your will, please? Exactly. Which hopefully. What's the back of your goldenrod sheet? Did you fill that out? That's always the Can first. Can you pass thing to through your gold since you're going to be stuck in here? Exactly. You know, nothing personal. Yeah. Oh, and we should mention too. That so, so basically, if your character gets stuck and you see a bunch of hands, they're not trying to help you. They're actually right. Oh, thank for your you. Stuff. They're like, no, no, no. Give me your stuff. Why first. are you holding my hand? Give me gold. <laughs> Pull your ring. Right. They take your ring. Right. All right. Let me let me say goodbye. Yeah. Watch when the thief says, "I oh, can I shake your hand goodbye." So that is one thing you did not do. I mean, with Glade, I, she should have, while she was running, tried to pick up Pixie's longsword. Well, Pixie certainly would have done that to Glade. <laughs> uh, and we should we should mention that if you have really, really, really high strength, eighteen ninety one, something called exceptional strength. Right. And right? only fighters may have that naturally, uh, not without any magical means. Right. You get if you if it reaches eighteen ninety one, which of course if you have you probably rolled when no one was around. That's right. But if you have that, strength, I swear I got it. I swear. You, if you have that in parentheses next to your open door number, is another number right? Eighteen ninety one to ninety nine is a one, and eighteen hundred is a two, right. and this allows you a chance right for to open to force open a locked, barred, magically held. Or wizard lock door, but it, similar to Ben Bar lift gates, only one attempt ever per door may be made. Uh, but so that gives you an opportunity if it's so. We talked about the thieves potentially right. if your DM reads it that way, allowing you to try to open a magically held portal. Also, if you've got a really strong fighter, yeah. they have a shot of doing it as well, or even just a barred door. All right. Well, we've beaten this door and bended it to death. Uh, we're going to close this segment. Hopefully you found that interesting. Our last segment is Suggestion. Suggestion. So, Dan, you're going to cast a Suggestion balance. What is your suggestion for this week? My suggestion for this week is a book called Art and Arcana. And, James, first I'd like to thank you for getting this for me. You yeah. got this for me as a holiday present, and it was perfect. I think my wife is a little jealous that you're able to, you know, presents to buy me better than she does. She well now that we've met. I mean, we met just recently, yes. so she can uh, 
send me uh, emails and gifts or bribes, and I'll be. Well, happy maybe there. you could just do that on your own next holidays instead of her reaching out. <laughs> you could reach out to her with a list of things that okay. Dan would want. I'd appreciate that. I'll see what I can do. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It seems like more work on my part. You know what I loved? I loved when we came over here for the holiday party at your house. And I asked to see, or Nico, I think, I asked, said, well, you know, can't you, would you like to see uh, the, the room where all the D&D stuff is kept? And it was required that somebody accompany, anyone who was going to go into the room with your D&D stuff mm-hmm. needed to be accompanied by a family member. That's right. To make sure that nothing was taken. That's right. I loved that. Um, <laughs> well, you know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. I didn't want to have this awkward moment when you guys were leaving. I'm patting you down. Now, yeah. And all of a sudden, a figure comes out or something. Right. Or something's missing, then you'd have to accuse us. Right. That doesn't go over well. Then it'd be a, mur- a mystery. You know, who <laughs> took my area of the slave lords, my original right. module that I bought in 1982? It doesn't go well. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. I still have that one. Right down the hall there. So the Art and Arcana... Right, a recent publication which talks about the art of Dungeons and Dragons from its inception through today. From its inception through today, it goes essentially chronologically, and I think it's fantastic. Uh, I know it's, it's quite a buzz amongst people. A lot of people have bought it. I'm sure you have a copy. I do. And I'll tell you what I think is great about it. Uh, I love the history of the game, and what I love about it is how much you can learn about the history of the game right. through the art. Um, I, I loved reading about you know, Tomb of Horrors and, and things like that and Chainmail. And, and so it's not just appreciating the art. It's also getting the backstory behind the game. It's, it's well done. And uh, we're not sponsored. We don't get anything for this. I just saw it and immediately I thought Dan would appreciate it as someone who's uh, like me, who's uh, I think even more so, Trying to understand, you know, as we talked about in the previous podcast, my history really starts in 1982, and I just assume it went back to the Player's Handbook or Monster Manual 77, then Player's Handbook 78. But there's, you know, years before that, OD&D and the precursor to that, and so many of these, I'll call them tropes in some ways, but also the, the history, how we got here, um, you know, is, is not only illustrated, uh, but also the history behind it. So it, it's, that's what makes this book so great. It has the pictures how things have evolved from their initial thoughts to where they, where they come from. Um, you know, we're very fortunate that this hobby, uh, specifically Dungeons & Dragons, has now been around long enough that there is almost an archaeological feel to it. And that's what this yeah. kind of feels like. You're digging through the past. And, um, you know, it's a great gift. And there's two versions of it. There is, uh, and so, and again, we have the nostalgia thing. Like Dan's looking through the Dragon Magazine covers, and I remember getting this Dragon Magazine. I think still think I have this Dragon yeah, Magazine. Yeah. Uh, did he show you our, my Dragon Magazine collection? No. Oh, I didn't I, see that. We'll have to, we'll have to go buy that. Out. Yeah. yeah. So there's two versions of this. This is the standard version. There's also a collector's edition, which comes in a dark binder, and it has. I think a, uh, the tournament copy uh, reproduction of Tomb of Horrors, if I remember correctly, and it may have one of the OD&D books. So that one is more pricey. Uh, it's almost, I think, triple the cost. But again, you know, you can go to Wizards or Amazon, wherever you, or your local bookstore, game store, support them. Um, it's definitely well worth it. It's, you know, first what I did was I kind of passed through it, and now I'm starting to read yeah. some of that from nostalgia things. So uh, that is our suggestion for today. It's uh, any other comments related to this yes. that you found interesting? Yes. First of all, I love how in first edition, and again, I always talk about in first edition. I don't know if it's different than other editions or not. But what I love about first edition is that so many of the pictures 
the famous pictures are pictures of characters being killed. <laughs> right? So, and I just lost it here. It was the, I'm sure you, you'll know it immediately, the famous picture, the Sturges, Attack oh, yes. of the Sturges. The Monster Manual. Right. So, you know, it's not, a picture of a Sturge is not a character. Yeah, right here. A picture of a character, I don't know where our camera is. It's not a picture, of course, of, you know, a Sturge. Right, here's, here's the full picture. That's great. So. Isn't that great? Yeah, I didn't realize that. See, Attack a, of the Sturges. 19, what is it, 76 it says? 76 it looks like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and um, 1975, the original oh, one, from, from Strategic Review, 1975, Attack of the Sturges. And what I love about the Monster Manual, so many of the Monster Manual pictures, so yep, it, and then it makes it to the Monster Manual, so this which is the original, 77. If you can see it. And so that's what I knew. This is even, yeah, the 30, above. 35 years, yeah? Yeah, because this is even earlier, apparently. This was right. 1976. I'm sorry, 1975. Okay. Attack the Sturges from the Strategic Review. So this is actually a separate picture. Yes, this it is. That's the same picture. Right okay. down there. Well, they, oh, okay. I didn't right? realize that. They took a portion of No, yeah. they did change it because the yeah. lines, the lines now go different. horizontal. Yeah. Right, the later version from the 1977 Monster Manual. And I love, I love how it says here... It perfectly instructs the dungeon master on how these pesky creatures might be used to swarm and attack <laughs> and overwhelm uh, an overwhelmed player. Yeah. Isn't that great? So I love the fact that um, it's got some of these iconic pictures. I also learned something, which oh, I yeah. thought was very interesting. I learned a lot. Look at that, an old character sheet. It's Goldenrod. Goldenrod, that's right. The, is this the original Goldenrod, perhaps? I, apparently. I eat this stuff up. I don't know where it is now, but I had not realized that some of these bizarre creatures, like the owl bear and the rust monster, they're from. Uh, go ahead. No, go. You go for it. Because my like understanding you, is, yeah, yeah they ha- the one of the kids had uh, little animals, the little fin- small like toy soldiers, but they had toy mo- creatures, and they made the creatures out of them. Is that your understanding? Yes, it talks about that. It says um, physical props uh, to directly inspire elements of D and D. So it says. Um, yeah, we know that from his 1972 article in Wargamer's newsletter that Gary Gygax said he played chainmail with, quote, soft plastic horrors and plastic prehistoric animals from, from the start. But uh, in the first issue of The Dragon, we see uh, different, it goes on. But so, yes, yeah, so apparently he was using these in chainmail, I guess. Right. Uh, and so that's where the owl bear comes from. That's he where found the some bullet random, comes from. random plastic things or whatever, miniatures, and then he adopted them and made them into the game. And that's what I love about yeah. this book, is that it gives you that, it gives you the backstory. And you could imagine, like, some old, and I don't know this for a fact, but some, you know, cheap 60s, 70s toys from Japan or China, you know, back then, just random things that were produced, and now they are iconic. Uh, Having killed countless. Countless scores. And what I love about it, too, is it talks about the different artists and you immediately then recognize the flavor of the art like, yeah. so for example and i didn't know who you know tom wham you immediately i don't know who tom wham is i knew now but you immediately recognize the style the style right yeah. and i love that i mean it's yeah. cartoonish right and i and i love all different sorts i love you know those serious stuff i love the cartoonish ones you know and what i love about it is because you know they look so happy right and you know, just moments away, They're a scythe is right. going to come down right. and just kill one of them. They were at the end of their quest and said uh, they're brutally murdered and or attacked. And I would just like to say, and I know I'm probably late to the game in, in recognizing the brilliance of some of these artists, but is it um, Errol Otis? Yes, so, yeah. He has a website. People have made a website dedicated to him. I've been out there. It's definitely worth seeing. You can see all his artwork there. Amazing. Yeah. I just love it. I mean, that that's the artwork. When I think of first edition AD&D... 
for me anyway, I think of his artwork. It's absolutely amazing. And also a shout out to Janelle J. Grace, who is multi-talented and yeah. a great artist uh, as that well. That interview I heard, I, mean, I did not realize. I mean, I, I only knew her from the from the dungeon creation based on some of the things I'd seen, but she's also uh, a tremendous artist. I mean, you know, part of this is is obviously text and using voice. But, you know, when I saw the first time the player's handbook, this is first edition. When you look at the artwork, I'm showing it, the, the cover of that. It's gritty. They've just slain some lizard creatures. They're binding some wounds. They're kind of looking at each other. And they're searching the traps. They're digging out treasure. There's a huge party of people walking around. That, to me, is the first edition thing. They're not very heroic. They don't look like uh, they're you know riding Pegasuses and all these other things. So that's the style. It doesn't have to be the style, but that's what... Uh, it was very clear what you were getting when you got into the game. Yes, and I believe, and I can't remember who it is, I believe somebody in the back cover is supposed to be somebody. I know oh, it's really? supposed to be Gygax or something, but somebody in the back oh, cover, okay. yeah. And I can't remember who it is, but there's something going on with the back cover of the player's handbook. Well, thank you for that suggestion. I think we've, uh, hopefully they'll failed their save, and now they're going to go off and get that. Again, get it from your local thing. So, um, Again, please, we're also on YouTube now. We are recording these uh, these things of shenanigans and putting them up on YouTube. So there will hopefully be a rhino chasing chasing us down uh, as one of these things. Um, we're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. Um, as hopefully this month, we're, like I said, we're going to talk to our folks at Crucible so we can start the process doing GrogCon. We've got new players in our group. We have a third group starting. Um, so, again, I'm going to encourage, my suggestion is start a group. Uh, get on Meetup or something, social media, and if you're willing to DM, people are willing to play, and start building a group up. There's no reason not to play. So, uh, I'm James. I'm Dan. Uh, thanks for listening to Grog Talk, and we'll see you next time. This is big, a pushy, a big production. All rights reserved.